Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, the missing link, Rod Lloyd, and I'm joined by... Ein. Jess. <laughs> that, that was the weakest nickname ever. Ein, the cutest. It's better? <laughs> well, right. you wouldn't let me be Spikes Girl XOXO less than three. That's better than the one you came up with just now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, hi, welcome to Media Made. If you're new to the show, let me explain. Justin and I, we go through uh, movies, music, and TV year by year. Today, we're, lo- uh, we're going to be talking about 1998 television. So we've looked at a list of every television show. They debuted in the year 1998. We've decided which ones each of us have watched the most, the most in our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we, we usually go through lists of like TV from around the world, you know, Brit- British, American, mm-hmm. Canadian, mm-hmm. Japanese, and... Uh, we got we got some interesting picks here today. Do we? Yeah, I mean, I mean like they're 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 not they're predictable. They're yeah. not surprising in any they're way. They're not surprising. It's, just, it's in like any you way. look at like the catalog of television shows that we've talked about on the podcast thus far. These fit right in. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna have some. Well, at least on my segment, some re- returning players. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it'll be fun. But will it be fun? I think so. It'll at least be interesting. It'll be interesting. I wouldn't say this is our most out there. Uh, TV episode, though. No, no, no. I mean, those aren't the words you use. That's just how I internalize what you said. This is totally fine. This is this is gonna be a great episode, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, especially mm -hmm. when we get to segment two. It's gonna be real great. Uh, (laughs) But we got to get through some doldrums here first. But nothing would be as bad as Barney the dinosaur or Little Bear, right? Yeah, you've had the worst content on this show. Like, if we judged both of us, you've had the worst TV, the worst album, and the worst movie. No. Yeah. We we've talked about this. Movies. You you've you secured worst movie <laughs> and you always will but if you want to hear about that you can go listen to our 1993 movies episode oh where you hear the worst of the worst on both of our ends that's fair it was a bad year it was but starting with my show of 1998 debuting september 1st 1998 on nickelodeon featuring the voice talents of lacey chobert tom kane daniel harris jody Crystal, tim curry and flea created by arlene klasky gabor shupo steve Papoon. David Silverman and Steven Sustarsik. That is the Wild Thornberries. This is me, Eliza Thornberry, part of your average family. I got a dad, a mom, and a sister. Where is Donnie? We found him. And Darwin? He found us. Oh yeah, about our house. It moves. Because we travel all over the world. You see, my dad hosts his nature show. And my mom shoots it. Okay, so we're not that average. And between you and me, something amazing happened. And now I can talk to animals. It's really cool, but totally secret. And you know what? Life's never been the same. A lot of, a lot of hard names in that one. Yeah. <laughs> You've had just as much trouble with those names as you do with the Japanese names. This a, is going to be a hard episode. Yeah, I know. For you speaking of Japanese names, the second segment's going to be real tough. But uh, yeah, thanks Eliza for explaining the premise of that show. Yeah, the wild thornberries. It's about the a, mild thornberries, more like. Yep, it's about a traveling family. Uh, the parents are they host a nature show. They go all around the world, and the the daughter is the main character, and she can talk to animals. Are they carnies? They're entertainers. Uh, they're so fil- they're carnies. They're filmmakers. Mm. They don't swindle people out of money. Mm. Well, they might. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're just, just they're traveling nature show filmmakers. You know. <laughs> and I, I was like, 
I'm thinking back to like when I was watching the show because it's my it's my show because I watched a lot of Nickelodeon. This mm-hmm. is not our first Nicktoon. We talked Hey Arnold in ninety five. Mm-hmm. Is that ninety six? Ninety six. We talked uh, Rugrats in ninety one. All that ninety four. A lot of Nickelodeon. I was consuming a lot of Nickelodeon con- content when I was young. And Which, yeah, that's this, so interesting. It's like Nickelodeon shows Disney movies. Yeah. Well, like Dis- I mean Disney. The Disney Channel was putting out some real crap back then. <laughs> but, like, this was never my favorite Nicktoon. But it was, like, you know, fine, serviceable. I feel like the fact that there was all, they always went to a new location in every episode is what made it more appealing than some of the other weaker Nicktoons that I, like, begrudgingly watched. Mm-hmm. Or, like, shows on Cartoon Network. I'm not a, I was not a big Cartoon Network dude. Yeah. Um, I watched... I watched like Powerpuff Girls and Johnny Bravo and Cow and Chicken like begrudgingly. I did. They, I never liked those shows. I just watched there was because nothing else was on. You know, <laughs> same with like Wild Thornberrys felt like that show. It was like I watched it because there was nothing else of interest on television during whatever half hour that was. But it still was mildly interesting. Yeah, especially the globe trotting. Yeah, uh, learning about animals. I yeah. suppose learning about different cultures. At least that was, you know, engaging. To a young boy. It's like zoo books. <laughs> it was like the zoo books of, of cartoons. Oh, man. just Did you just learn about zoo books? Did I have to teach you about zoo books? What do you mean teach me? No, I didn't just learn about zoo books. I just never had them. Yeah, my cousins had zoo books. I feel uh, like we had them in like a, a class. Yeah, like, they were pro- they, I'm sure there's like a zoo science book. Science class or something. Every elementary school library across yeah. the country has a, you know, a set of zoo books. Yeah. But yeah, I remember the Zoo Books commercials, and it seemed like they only sold the the twelve issues. You know, mm-hmm. you signed up for a year subscription, you got all twelve issues, and then they just you know reprint them, reprint the rest of the six every year. <laughs> yeah. So my cousins had them. So when I wanted to read them, I just went to my aunt's house and borrowed their Zoo Books. Why did you want to read them? I don't know. Learn about animals. Okay. I don't remember anything about the books. Nope. I don't. No. No content. Present. There was an elephant on one of the covers. <laughs> There's a toucan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So Wild Thornberries itched the same, you know, scratched the same itch mm-hmm. as uh, zoo books. Kids, you want to learn about animals in exotic locations? Watch this cartoon. I think it did that job very well. Um, I definitely watched a, a good bit of the Wild Thornberries. Um, I remember enjoying watching it. I remember watching quite a, a, a good deal of it, but you know. Everything is the same when you're a child, at least for me, who yeah. has a terrible memory. And it, it ran considerably long. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it didn't run as long as Rugrats, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the same as Hey Arnold, I suppose. But like, there were a lot of like around this time, like Nicktoons that debuted and just like were gone already. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't. I think Angry Beavers was done. Rocco was done. All Real Monsters was done. Yeah. You know, all Klasky these shows. and Chupo like ruled Nicktoons I'll for get a in, long time. I will get into that. Yeah. Klasky and Chupo have been very busy since Rugrats came out. Yeah. Uh, do you want, speaking of that, do you, wanna, you want me yeah, to jump into this history right then? right in. All right. So as we talked about in our 1991 TV episode. Wait, before you do that, I have a question. Yes. Did this ever make you want to speak to animals? I guess a little bit. Did you ever just go to your neighborhood dog or the dog that your mother owned and just try to talk to it not really no mm, you didn't, but like didn't, it I, just didn't invoke dr do little fill we talked a lot about this when we talked brave little toaster but um like i had i used to like you know think of my inanimate objects in my home as real things mm-hmm. that like n- works you know 
conscious of me yes and cared about me and i think i applied the same thing to animals so it's like i i like gave an internal voice to animals huh you know like we had cats and and dogs when i was little you know so i was like i imagined that they could talk in their own special way that feels a little bit like um sven from the frozen sven is the 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 moose and the other guy just gives voice. Han? No, I don't know what his name is. It's like an unspoken, you know, uh, speaking <laughs> in some way. You know what I mean? Wordless speaking. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's do this Walt Thorberry thing. Go ahead. As we talked about in our 1991 TV episode, animation production company Klasky Chupo hit it big with the Nickelodeon cartoon or Nicktoon Rugrats. And yeah, like I had... I had laid out Rugrats like production history, like mm-hmm. that you know they produced the initial run, which ran until I believe, like not very long, maybe ninety six. Mm-hmm. You know, like well, that's pretty pretty long, but yeah. like it was like one or two seasons or something like that, and then they were done. And then ninety ninety six, they start running, they start running the reruns, mm-hmm. and like it was consistently the top rated show on Nickelodeon or <sighs> like network kid TV, right? And they're like this old Nicktoon is still popular. Classic Chupo, make more. And that's how Rugrats <laughs> continued to air, you know, air new episodes was they were brought back in. But were they divorced by that time? Mm. Oh no. <laughs> so yeah, Classic Chupo were like very integral to uh Nickelodeon's success back then. Mm-hmm. After development of Rugrats initial run wrapped in 1993, Classic Chupo launched two new shows in 1994. Ah, Real Monsters for Nickelodeon mm-hmm. and Duckman for USA. What? Duckman is one of the ugliest television shows I've ever seen. I don't know. Have you seen Rocket Power? It, no, it's worse. It's worse <laughs> than that. Um, it, it was like USA's answer to The Simpsons. Oh. And it starred a cynical duck living his life. You know, it was just, a, a, it was like a satire on like American values back then. You know, like okay. what, it, what, it like, what it was like to live in suburban America in 1994. Like, so American dad? <laughs> Except in a way, but it was just mean and, and just cynical. Uh, Jason Alexander, the guy who plays uh, George Costanza on Seinfeld, voiced Duckman. Mm-hmm. And he was just just so mean. He <laughs> complained a lot. Sounds, it, sounds like... Mm. <laughs> from what I've seen, it's not my show. It's not my kind of show. Why did you watch some of it? For research? No, just, you know, people talk about it. Like, I think people who are a little bit older than us look back fondly on Duckman, but not me. Anyway, both of those shows wrapped in 1997. During this period, the company also produced Santo Bugito for CBS. Have you ever heard of that? No, Santa what? Santo Bugito. Small Santa? It was like a cartoon about bugs, like, living in, in, in some... I have never seen a frame of this show. I just, like, Googled it. It was like, I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I'm but not going to click any farther. I guess it ran on CBS, like, Saturday morning or something. Santo Bugito. If you... Have any recollections of that show? Let us know on Twitter. Well, maybe that's my actual show of the year. I've heard of it. I've seen it all. Anyway, they also produced two television specials for ABC, as well as an established, as well as established a successful commercial division. So they were they were hit it big, diversifying. Commercial meaning like toys and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And despite staying close business partners, company co-founders Arlie Klasky and Gabor Shupo divorced in 1995. It had to have been amicable, though, right? Yeah, yeah. They continue to work together. Yeah. It's just like, you know. Aw. But the power couple is no more. Oh, no. How are their little Tommy Pickles? Around 1997, Nickelodeon was reportedly looking for projects that, quote, had the potential to become five-day-a-week shows with appeal for both boys and girls. Ooh. Klasky Chupo pitched the Wild Thornberries. Nice. Now, 
I like went out of my way trying my best to find like inspirations for the wild thornberries, right? Mm -hmm. Like different, I, how this idea came to be, like why this show, why, right. you know, nature show parents, you know, kid that could talk to animals, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I found a few quotes, but not enough where I was satisfied, you know? So maybe once I lay these out, we can speculate a little bit. Okay. Like I have some ideas, but according to co-executive producer, Eric Casimiro, the original idea was for the show to feature an animal psychologist named Nigel. After Nickelodeon became interested, quote, it just became obvious to make changes, that it was a perfect idea to have a 12-year-old girl with the ability to talk to animals. It's the way kids role play with their own pets. True. So I guess at some point they said, we want to do a nature type show mm -hmm. with, a, with an animal psychologist named Nigel, mm -hmm. who became Nigel Thornberry. Right. But obviously Nickelodeon's a kid's channel. The main character's got to be a kid. Let's, you know, focus on his 12-year-old daughter, Eliza Thornberry. Here's my sense. speculation, though. I think the big what do you remember what like the the biggest animation hit was in the year 1994? We talked about it on our show. The biggest animated feature of the time. Animated meaning TV movie. 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 Lion King. Yes. yes. So the Lion King made so much money. <laughs> Part of me thinks that they wanted to do like a nature-based show because the Lion King was so popular. Mm. I don't think it's coincidence that the first episode of the Wild Thornberries features lions predominantly like that's the main animal yeah feature. i thought that was such an interesting thing to go first i mean it, you know makes it wild makes it adventurous but i also think they were trying to capitalize on the lion king craze four years later you know kids have be long better late than ever I that's suppose. fair and it's also what like D dvds vhs Timon and Pumbaa was on the was probably still in the air that's fair that's fair yep yep i i agree with this this uh Supposition you have made. Klasky Chupo wanted to make a show with prominent parent characters, mm. but they received some pushback from Nickelodeon. What? Like Nickelodeon up to that point was like, no, we're the kids network. Like their philosophy was mm. always like, kids, you can do what you want. You know, this is, <laughs> this is your network. This is your entertainment, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't for parents. Don't let them in. That kind of thing. That's a dangerous thing. I wouldn't let my kids watch that. However... That philosophy changed when market research began showing that children at the time were far more interested in spending time with their parents than past generations. And I did, a, this is actually well-documented. I was reading mm. a bunch of different articles about it. So the market researchers from like, you know, early 90s on started realizing that little kids were spending less and less time with their parents because as we talked about, this is the generation of the latchkey kid. Mm -hmm. uh, we were seeing a lot of divorced you know, divorced parents, yeah. broken families, yeah. stuff like that. So kids were far more interested in engaging with their parents mm -hmm. than, the, than past generations were because they didn't have the opportunity to. Yeek. And and that basically invited Nickelodeon to actually consider, well, let's make a show where the parents are prominently featured. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of weird also because... We talked about that first episode of Rugrats. The parents are pretty focal to that episode. Yeah. So I don't know where the line was, but apparently some of the parent-child drama that we see in the Wild Thornberries was not going to cut it huh. with the past Nickelodeon philosophy. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's like that's the stuff in the Wild Thornberries that was novel was the fact that the parents have a more consistent relationship with the kids in the show. Mm-hmm. I think it was also well done from like what I remember. 
part, but mostly also what we saw in the episode that we watched. Yeah, yeah. We'll be able to point out a few points in the episode where they, I think, tried to approach that. Mm -hmm. The Walt Thornberrys premiered in 1998 as part of Nickelodeon's new primetime block, The Nickelozone. Ew. I, yeah, the, I don't remember the nickel ozone, but don't like it. That was a thing that existed. The Wild Thornberries was Nick's first 22-minute animated show, meaning that it w- every episode was oh right, 22 minutes long. It, it wasn't, wasn't two 11-minute shorts. Yeah, like all Nicktoons up to that point were. Okay. it was like every episode was two 11-minute shorts as mm-hmm. opposed to one full 22-minute episode. Yeah, so that Wild Thornberries is historic in that way too. Good job, Liza. All right, so. That's all I got for the Wild Thornberrys. Oh. Yeah. Short but sweet. All right. So we're going to talk about the first episode. We watched the first episode of the Wild Thornberrys today. What's it called? It's called Flood Warning. Ah. And it's set near Mount Kilimanjaro, Tanzania. 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 (laughs) (laughs) See, I don't know. Don't you cut that. You left me in the last time saying terrible things. Tanzania. (laughs) Africa. I'm going to fight you if you cut this. I won't. Uh, so, yep, every episode of Wild Thornberries is really just set in a new place, and uh, this one's right on the right on the, the 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 foot of Mount Kilimanjaro. So let's meet our main characters. Okay. The first character to speak is actually Nigel Thornberry, whom it was supposed to be the main character all the time. Everyone, everyone's favorite character, Nigel Thornberry. Mount Kilimanjaro, Africa's highest peak, and roaming in its shadow, that king of beasts, the lion, known to local tribesmen as... Cut. Well, we better get this shot before the storm hits. Sorry, love. You know, I'm not sure what it is, but this shot's missing something. Yeah, like lions. Lions. Panthera Leo, the royal family of the savannah, golden shadows, flashing claws, hunting with almost scientific precision, taking down a buffalo with a single bite of their massive jaws. It's beautiful. So we actually met, uh, in addition to Nigel, we met two other main characters in that clip. Uh, We got Mom, Dad, and Debbie. So Nigel Thornberry is Dad. Marion Thornberry is Mom. And... Debbie Thornberry is their teenage daughter. Yes. And she is very much a valley girl. I didn't know her name was Mary. Marion. Marion. Okay. That makes more sense. I was like, Mary feels off. (laughs) Yeah. And so Nigel is voiced by Tim Curry, who is a carryover from the Duckman. So I bet you, you know, Clacky Chupo worked with him for Duckman. He plays like, like Mr. Chicken or something like that. Oh gosh. What is this show? It's, it's terrible. Uh, but yeah, Tim Curry is the best. Everyone loves Tim Curry. Everyone loves Tim Curry. Uh, and then I guess Marion's voiced by Jody Carlisle, and Debbie is voiced by Danielle Harris, one of the Scream Queens. Yeah, I was like, Danielle Harris, the name sounds familiar. I know she was like, I know she's been in other horror movies, oh. but I remember her most from the 2007 Rob Zombie Halloween movie. She, okay. she she's the best friend that dies <laughs> or doesn't die. She comes back in the sequel. Oh. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. This was when she was young. So yeah, um, Nigel and Marion, they run this nature show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nigel is the host and Marion is the camera person. Yep. Uh, Nigel Thornberry is very likely inspired by English broadcaster, natural historian, and author Sir David Attenborough. Uh, Oh, yeah. David Attenborough. Yep. Who is best known for writing and presenting the Life Natural History Documentary Series. Yeah. 
So I yeah. could see that. Yeah, yeah. It was just like he Nigel just steps into that role and he's very character char- characterized. Mm-hmm. You know. I will say, I don't know. Did any of the people that he's like based off of have an extremely large nose? I don't know, but <laughs> Klasky Chupo has a very unique art style. Yes, uh, I, I, it, it's ugly. Like I'm gonna be yes. honest, you know, it's it's definitely unique. That man is more nose than anything. He's like Nigel is the most grotesque. <laughs> like I was telling you, like just something about he's got a huge nose and his eyes are just like beady. Yeah, it's weird. He's a very unsettling looking thing. But he's a lovely man. But then I feel like the other characters are, they still have that classy Chupo style, but they're not quite as off-putting as the characters in Rugrats. Their heads are oblong shaped. But they're Eliza's not, the second weirdest looking one. But she's not like, they don't They don't have like weird lumpy heads like the babies in. Yeah. In, <laughs> in they, they do Rugrats. have bubbly heads though. Again, I'm thinking of Eliza. <laughs> yeah. And they all have the weird like thick lips. Yeah, like very licorice. <laughs> and then De- Debbie, Debbie looks pretty normal for the More most or less. part. She looks she like only a, has one eye. Yeah, she she her hair is always covering her eye, <laughs> but she looks like a normal mid nineties teen. Mm-hmm. I'd still she's wear got, what she's wearing. She got the grunge look. Yeah, you know, she wasn't a a cartoon crush for me, but I'm sure she was to many people. That's true. She's she is definitely the most human looking. Yes. And then we meet the other three main characters, the other members of the family, Eliza, Darwin, and Donnie. Can you believe we've been out here three days and we haven't seen a single lion? Consider yourself very, very lucky. How can you say that? Lions are cool. Yes, cool, cuddly, killing machines. Ow. So you want to describe these three people? Obviously, Eliza is the main character. She's a little girl. Mm-hmm. And she introduced the whole show to us. Yes. Who is she talking to? An ape. She was talking to a chimpanzee named Darwin. <laughs> named after Charles Darwin. Yes. Yes, it was. And um, you could understand him because Eliza could understand him. She could talk to animals. To, they, they show this a few times in this episode. To everyone else in the show, when Eliza is talking to Darwin, she is speaking chimpanzee. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's, that's what she's doing. Yeah. So any animal she's speaking to, any human hears it as the language of that animal. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then the clicks and yowls you heard was Donnie. Donnie is a young feral boy that they found in Bar- Borneo or something. And they like he he was just all alone, didn't have any parents, so they adopted him. They took him. He was he is stolen. <laughs> he is a stolen child. <laughs> but yeah, he doesn't really speak. He just kind of like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he vocalizes gib- gibberish, uh, and he is voiced by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Second time we've seen him. Yeah, he 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 had an acting career. He was in the Back to the Future movies. He was in Son-in-Law. Son-in-Law. But for some reason, they cast him to play a little boy that doesn't even speak. And there's, there's footage of him, him in this, in the recording booth doing the, the Donnie vocalizations. It's weird. And you're like, that's him. That's what we're doing. I I don't know how this arrangement came to be. Mm -hmm. It's so strange. Yeah. You know, like why, why cast him? He's doing a great job. Yeah. It, yeah, it is weird. It's weird when they get people to voice characters that 
only vocalize like i get it but also i'm like i don't know why not get like a veteran voice actor like frank welker to do it but like no they they got a famous musician who was like you know in the prime of his career yeah maybe he did it free because he wanted to not free but like cheap yeah i don't know i don't know the story i try to look it up but yeah it is it is i don't know yeah i mean he did a great job he did It's it's just such an interesting choice yeah and then uh, Eliza is voiced by Lacey Chabert. Chaber? I don't know. She's she's grown up to be a real actress. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Darwin is voiced by Tom Kane, a veteran voice actor. Yes. So this episode um, goes places. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what propels the the conflict of this episode here? A driving lesson. I'm talking about the camera moving with you on top of the convi. If only I could drive the Combi and shoot at the same time. I'll drive the Combi. Oh, now the Combi's not like a car, darling. Driving it's pretty complicated. And what am I, simple? I'm 16. It is my divine right to be behind the wheel. And I shouldn't be penalized just because you and Dad decided to drive around in some whacked-out Survivo vehicle instead of a station wagon like regular parents. Well, well, all right. Come on over, honey. I would never give in to that brat. Debbie is going to drive the Comvi, which is a like decked out RV that they drive around. Yeah. It's this giant thing with like it's an all terrain vehicle. Yeah. Because it can just drive off road. You Mm -hmm. know, they're constantly driving on like, you know, wild lands, Mm -hmm. you know, off trail and stuff. Um, It it can float on the ocean. Yeah. It's got a flotation device. Um. I believe, they, they have episodes in the snow. Yeah. They have episodes. Uh, the only thing it can't do is fly. It's not chitty chitty bang bang. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's it's like this crazy thing. And like, that's one of them. Like the Comfy is a character in itself in this mm-hmm. show. Uh, there's a lot of episodes where it's just like centered around the Comfy. Yeah. Like I remember one of ep- like this episode's kind of similar, but there's an episode where um, I can't remember if it gets struck by lightning or it like something happens where it just gets locked down where like i think the entire thing like a security safety measures and yeah, no one yeah. can get back in yeah and no one can get back in yeah and so they have to figure out how to get inside the convi or something <laughs> like that um, it's a bottle episode <laughs> in a way um yeah so yeah the convi is definitely a, a very important part of the show yeah a character in and of itself yep it's an oppa except it doesn't talk and debbie wants to drive it absolutely not absolutely te- teenagers not. like to drive you know, upon watching the show with you, I could not, I remember watching the show and like liking it, but like watching it as an adult, these children are stupid and they annoy me. Oh, absolutely. Like De- Debbie is like, I feel like bratty here oh because my gosh. she's like, you know, complaining and wants to drive the RV and it's she- my right as a 16 year old who's never done any other driving to drive this very expensive vehicle. Oh, it's not going to be hard to drive. It's just like grandma's 64 Dart. She keeps describing having driven her grandma's car. When she dro- was 14. And she drove it off a cliff. I would not have given up. There, She gave you so much lip. I would have been like, uh, nice. You can hold the camera. But, like- <laughs> but Eliza does something like even stupider here oh, later Eliza's on in the so episode. so annoying. But. You know, I was like, Debbie at least is on character. Like, yeah. She, she is a bratty She's teenager. on brand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't have a lot of clips because honestly, like the first 15 minutes of this episode, like there's actual, like there's a, there's an action scene mm-hmm. that happens pretty quickly on. 
Um, it's not, it doesn't, you know, not look good clips to get out of it, but it's exciting. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. Like, I'm sure like if I was the first time watching this show, you know, when it first premiered, I would have been really into it because it would have caught my attention like right there. Yeah. You know, I was like, hey, we're right into the action here because what happens? Uh, in true 16 year old form, Debbie crashes the car into a ravine and then it starts raining and it floods the ravine, which is actually just a little bit of a dry river. And the convy gets swept away along with four of the cast. <laughs> well, no, the entire cast. No, Liza's on the bank and she helps them out. Oh, okay. By sticking a stick. Fair enough. And they, they have to, so mom, dad, Debbie, and whoever else have to try and get off the convoy as it's ro like rushing down this river and get to safety on the, the shore. Yeah. And so they're they're left convoyless in mm. the middle of the wilderness <laughs> at nightfall. In, in, in no civilization it, anywhere. In the savannah. Yeah. You people aren't actually thinking about spending the night here, are you? Come on. We know the convoy stayed afloat. Why don't we go after it? All we have to do is follow the riverbed. Quite true, but we don't know how far down river it is. Rather safer to just stay put. Wouldn't fancy being stuck out there when night falls. Then when do we get the convoy? I suppose it'll be tomorrow sometime. So we'll be here all night, right? Oh, we'll be fine here. Yeah, we've got clean water, freeze-dried food, and pretty soon we'll have a nice fire. But in the meantime, here, everyone can wrap up in a nice space blanket. This is one of those times where it's like you have to have faith that Nigel and Marion know what they're doing. Yeah, that they wouldn't have driven their two children out here. To, not... to die in the wilderness. Yeah, they have a plan. Um, and, you know, that plan is to set up camp and wait until the morning. And you're like, okay. But, like, they don't really, like... I'm sure there's like mosquitoes and, you know, they, they don't like elevate themselves. Like they don't build a tree, like, you know, stand yeah. or anything like that. They just like lie on the ground yep. next to a, a riverbank that they don't know will rise or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, that's like, true. There are lions within walking distance. Who knows? Which we find out later, but still, there and could warthogs. be anything. Yeah. A warthog. Oh, yeah, there's a warthog. That's so terrifying. Also, a bunch of water hippopotamuses. They will kill you. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, they, they would have been dead if yep. this were real. Yep. 25 times. Yep. Nigel, though, he's got a plan. What's he going to do? He's going to build a collateral. We do what we thornberries do best. Snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Step one. We gather reeds. <laughs> That's the idea, Donnie. Did you see that? I always said the boy was sharp as a tack. Now, we're going to need a great heaping stack of these things, so we'd best get to it. Come on, lad. We've got reeds together. Come on. Come along. Yes. All right. Very good. Dad! Why are you gathering reeds? To build a cabalito, of course. A cabalito. A cabalito. And he keeps, like, he's obsessed with his cabalito. Yes. Oh, uh, what, what what is a cabalito? We don't we're not told it's what it is. It's a hut. They think it's a hut. It kind of <laughs> looks like a hut. Yeah, family thinks it's a hut. They don't ask him. They and if they do, he, they just say a cabalito, of course. And so you know, he's just doing that. Yes. While Miriam is trying to feed the kids, start a fire. She's doing these things. She's just letting her husband be. Which, yeah, <laughs> that feels like the safest thing to do. But the the crazy thing is is. 
we get to it, but like the girls become they 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 are in danger at some point here. Yeah. And Nigel thinks I need to continue making this cabalito. Yeah. I'm like, no, dude. It's not. <laughs> Your daughters are in very real danger. Not the most responsible. <laughs> no, like Nigel is almost like a child. He has very childlike wonder tendency. and yeah. almond and thinking processes i think that's why people gravitated for him because he's he's such an iconic character now probably because yeah. of that attitude where he's he's this big goof yeah um and he's like lovable but also he's just an idiot yeah <laughs> but yeah lovable but he's, idiot, he's an absent-minded professor type character absent-minded professor present father <laughs> yes um, and this this campfire scene is also a good point where we get some of that daughter drama, Ma- yeah. mother daughter drama. Mother daughter drama. <sighs> ah! All right, sigh, sigh, sigh. We just come out and say it. Pardon me. Let me tell you something, Mom. I am sorry I lost the comfy. Okay. <sighs> okay. Uh, well, I don't blame you, dear. Things like this just happen. Now let's just snuggle up in our space blankets and have a granola bar. You just can't stop writing me, can you? I am not writing you. I am just trying to get you to have a granola bar. And this is one of those scenes where I feel like the show is, you know, trying to play off the parental angle. Yeah. You know, it's trying to present, you know, real parent-child relationships, conversations, stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see in a Nicktoon up to this point. Yeah, I think they do it pretty well. The mom is, uh, Miriam is being very patient. Like, you can hear it in her voice. Her patience is being severely tested, but, like, she's doing her best to be understanding, and Debbie, you give a mouse a cookie. (laughs) You know? It's like, re-watching it now as an adult, I'm like, you know, Nigel is great because he's such a big goof but marion is like the best character yeah like she's the most relatable yeah i like sit i was sitting there i was like oh marion you d- you deserve a better partner and a husband <laughs> than what you got going on but if if it's love and you guys make it work mm. she supports him so much i want to know whose idea it was who went out th- who wanted to do this nature show right you know like she's she's tech savvy she's a survivalist you know i feel like there are se- there are episodes where like marion like just goes into full like warrior mode yeah she full-on um macgyvers things sometimes but you know it's like the psychology of it is like did she do that because this is what she always like was beforehand or did she learn upon starting this venture with her husband that if she didn't take care of these things they would die in an unknown place yeah (laughs) always have to have it your way don't you mom Debbie, I am trying to turn this stupid bag of powder into tuna tetrazzini, and I'm trying to do it with a smile on my face and a song in my heart, which would be a lot easier if you didn't cop attitude just this minute. Granola bar? I'll be in my room. Again, so realistic and so good, right? Yeah, she that, held that on to sigh. her patience, and then she was like, look, child, nobody will know if I kill you here in this <laughs> wild. Hmm. Debbie's room is next to a tree. Yes, it's just behind a tree. I feel like De- the whole series, the whole entire series, Debbie is trying her hardest to maintain a sense of normalcy yeah. in this very strange environment. Yeah. You know? Like she's constantly trying to 
say like i'm a normal teenager living a normal life i just am doing it in a weird place yeah uh, i think there are like episodes of her trying to like go to a boarding school or like when she meets boys her age and stuff like that was, one of one of my, the episodes i remember the most was it was she couldn't go to prom oh yeah. it was her prom so they're out in like i don't know the alps or something you know like the swiss alps or somewhere mm -hmm. right they're they're on a mountainside somewhere and Nigel orchestrates it to get three local boys to try and invite Debbie to go to prom with her. Cute. Like a fake prom. So, like, and this is like, I was like, this is a joke you could not tell on television anymore. But she, he invites, like, a sheep herder to, like, you know, come and meet Debbie and so, like, they could talk mm -hmm. a little bit. And then, like, he's just this, you know, simple-minded guy. Yeah. Who, you know, maybe doesn't speak English very well. He takes off and Nigel's like, oh, what happened to this guy? And she goes, oh, he realized he was missing one of his chromosomes and had to go home and get it. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wow. Oh. That's what I learned what a chromosome was. Oh. I had to ask my parents, like, what is a chromosome? <laughs> oh, it's a part of your brain. Debbie, I, think that, I think that's what they said. Wow. Debbie's so mean. <laughs> yeah. It's like nasty. But yeah, she ends up, you know, she finds a date. She, she finds a, a nice mountain man to be on a date with, oh, I think, so or nice. something like that. <laughs> So yeah, I was like, Debbie is interesting. Another yeah. interesting character. I agree. Uh, who who's not an interesting character and who is perhaps the worst character in the show is Eliza Thornberry. Oh my gosh, she's she, the worst. How old is she supposed she's to be? Thirteen, I think. She's mm. the main character, but she sucks. Ugh. She was, she was never my favorite. She was always my least favorite part of the show, mm -hmm. even though the show exclusively centers around her. Right. You know, not exclusively. No, but like, they've got they've primarily got like A, B, and C plots in all episodes. My goodness. But yeah, Eliza is. A young person. She mm -hmm. makes dumb decisions. Yeah. Um, including this episode. What does she do? She sneaks off at night to go and see some lions. At night in the savannah in a very dangerous place. She just, she just leaves cool. the camp. It's just so stupid because she's just like, I can talk to them. What does that mean? I can talk to a serial killer. That's not going to stop me from being killed. I feel like there are so many episodes I can recall where Eliza does something so dumb and it makes me cringe. Ugh. You know? Like, obviously, we'll play a clip here in a second, but she meets a male lion is about to die. And I'm just like cringing. I was like, no, I hate her so much. <laughs> I remember her meeting a pack of jaguars in South America in one episode. Because she didn't learn her lesson about big cats. She convinces the jaguars that she is a jungle princess. And they like start to like, you know, worship her in some way. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's an episode to teach people about like lying. Like, hey, don't lie, kids. You know? Yeah. But this episode uh like eliza has it like doubling down on the lie the whole episode and me as like an older kid at this point was just like shut up eliza i hate you <laughs> just stop somebody eat her speaking of eating is someone there It's a great honor to meet such a magnificent lion as yourself, sir. Looks so handsome, wise, regal. You keep missing my most important quality. Uh, let's see. So, sir, you're you're strong. Ah, fast, dignified. This lion is like, oh, I'm gonna eat you. I'm gonna eat you. I'm gonna put you in my belly. 
Uh, also, this lion is uh, hideous looking. Oh my gosh! It is, it is a lion through the eyes of Klasky Chupo. Oh my gosh! It's so oh, it's so top heavy and weirdly triangle. It's like a Dorito <laughs> with like fuzz because you found it in the couch. It's really un. It's unappealing. It is. Uh, but you want to hear a funny quote from Arlene Klasky regarding this show? Yes. So on presenting the natural world of the Walt Thornberrys, Klasky said, quote, We decided that if we were going to take young people to all these marvelous places and expose them to such a wide variety of nature, we better portray every indigenous plant, every animal, and all of the natives as accurately as possible. You failed then. Ma'am, lions are glorious creatures. Yeah, I was like, you—you you did not portray that lion. I can I just accurately. say, male lions, not not really. I mean, you can get some good shots of them, but female lions are all muscle and lean and beautiful, beautiful creatures. Madame, you tried, but you missed by a mile. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then Eliza's trying to talk her way out of it, saying, "Please don't eat me, Mister Lion." Well, not not quite, but she's trying to like smooth talk him. Yeah. Uh, well, well, groomed. Oh, patient, nonviolent. Okay, okay, okay. Give me a minute. I'm hungry. That line where he says, I'm hungry, <laughs> is one of those lines I I I, I quote it all the time, like. For the long, for many years, I've just quoted that to myself I'm when I am hungry. <laughs> but the weird thing is, I didn't couldn't remember where I got that from until we rewatched the show for this project, and I was like, "Oh, that's where it's from." The first episode. The first episode is <laughs> this line saying, like, "I'm hungry." <laughs> there you go. Good job. Pretty sure that was like a catchphrase when I was in elementary school. Oh, wow. I just said that to people. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I will say. Props to the voice actress because little Eliza screaming and running away sounds very realistic and like she's like panting, panting and falling down like the drops and falls of it, I think are very well done. I'm sure that's also, you know, credits to the, the sound editing, not just that, but the 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 director, you mm -hmm. know, whoever's getting the giving the, the vocal direction there. That's true. So props good job. to all. Props to all there. Uh, luckily, Eliza catches a break. What happens? She slides through thistles. And in, in a very Lion King moment. Yes. She's able to duck her, her... Her pursuer by sliding through a bush of thistles. And on the other side, salvation. And uh, yeah, the big lion becomes cactus butt. <laughs> and she runs into who? She runs into two lions, one voiced by Yzma. If he went on a hunt once in a while, he might not be so clumsy. Male lions never hunt. It's the female lions who do most of the work. They're the best hunters in the world. Oh, thank you. Now you're about to see some of that hunting firsthand. Really? Oh, cool. Hmm, now that's a new one. But that's why I'm here. I came to watch you hunt. Watch? Oh, no, you're not going to be watching, darling. You're going to be running. <gasps> oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to hunt me. No, no, no. You want me to... You want me to help you hunt? Really? Do go on. Yes, that is Eartha Kitt. Dang it. <laughs> Voicing one of the female lions, like, very distinct voice. We were like, oh, that's Eartha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it has a very earthy voice. <laughs> like, Eliza has to talk her way out of dying Eliza's twice. so stupid. I was like, just eat her. Just eat her. Just eat this little 
You wouldn't have to girl. talk your way out of the situation if you weren't in the situation in the first place, right? Like, oh, yes. Like, explaining to them, you guys are the best. Like, yes, we know. You're going to help me. Like, her plan was to go out there and watch the 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 lion's hunt. Like, yeah. That's what she wanted to do the whole time. Yes. And so for her she to say. She wanted to watch something get slaughtered. She's like, oh, I, I'm going to help you hunt. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Uh, You're a fragile little weak thing. We're going to snap your neck. <laughs> right? Like, they don't because it's the first episode. <laughs> Wait until the last episode. No. Uh, it's just, I just, I haven't wished for the death of a, of a main character since Fifel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She gave me some, she gave me some Fifel flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. She is a dumb little kid character. Come on, I'm wiry and clever and, and you know I'm a quick thinker and I'm fearless. Oh, absolutely fearless. Just for running our friend back there into the pricker bush, we should let her come along. Don't be so hard-nosed. She'll be fine. She's got to be more than fine. I can do it. Can you? Can you pad silently up behind a herd of zebra? Pounce like lightning and bring down an animal twice your size. Well... Um, yeah? Listen to you. You were skinnier than that when you were a cub. Besides, one more set of eyes won't hurt. And so what do they do? They sick her on something to hunt. And what is that thing? Debbie, who has also left the camp because she is going to, in a fit of guilt, find the combi by herself. <laughs> so both of the children characters do incredibly stupid things. And they leave the camp Basically alone, both of them. Yeah. And their parents wake up and they're like, our daughters are gone. What do we do? I don't understand why one of them wasn't keeping watch. Regardless, you're... You're just sleeping on the ground. In the... What is... Miriam, you're smarter than this. Yeah. So yeah, Debbie is like, you know, falling around in the mud trying to find the convi. And the lions are trying to teach Eliza how to hunt. They really like, just want to watch her fail and then eat them both. They're just like, hey, there's there's a weak animal. That's up to your speed. Little girl, go pounce on that thing, you know, that thing over there. <laughs> and it's Debbie. So Eliza, and we get another action set piece here, which, you know, hey, two two action scenes in one show. That's yeah. pretty cool, I guess. Uh, but De uh, Eliza basically jumps on Debbie and says, when I say run, we run. <laughs> Because they now have to outrun lions, lionesses. You're not going to do that, you stupid two-leggers. <laughs> and I don't have a lot of clips again, because it's just like not a lot of good clips for action set pieces. But what happens? Um, They run. D Donnie comes out at one point, and, and Darwin's there as well. And, and then, then they just Donnie, run. Donnie like distracts the lions by like... Doing a stick dance. Doing a dance. Yeah. But and they like run away and... The the lions go into the the water. They get they all get swept up in the river that's been rushing. Or yeah, like or or they like the river has receded, so now they're in the ravine again. But it starts raining again, and so at the like nick of time, the girls are able to climb out of the ravine just as the lions are getting in, and the lions get swept away. Yeah, by the rushing water, and, and the girls are saved. And by, then their like, father, by the grace of God, by the grace of God and Claspy Shupo. Uh, and then comes the Cabalito. So it was a boat you were building. A Cabalito invented by indigenous fishermen in southern Peru. Of course, my version is a bit crude. If, if, if only we'd had more reeds. I'm sure that taught a lot of kids something. What a Cabalito was. 
I'm an adult and I'm still not sure how to say it. Cabalito. I think we Googled it. We didn't see it anywhere. Yeah. Remember the first time we were watching, rewatching it, we were like, what is a Cabalito? We were like Googling it, like, but we couldn't find anything. We were probably spelling it wrong. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's really the fulfillment of the episode is yeah. like, you know, the, the, the girls are saved because it's a cartoon for From children. Their stupidity. And uh, the, the Thornberries live to fight another day. Live to dumb another day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the family, they all reconcile, right? Because uh, they find I, the. Well, I think the well, they do find the convict. Yes. Yes. They, that, that's, you know, one of the most important things. But I feel like Eliza's stupidity, like she doesn't really have an arc. It's just like, you know, stupid is a stupid does and stupid ends. <laughs> <laughs> she just ends the episode still stupid. Yeah. Debbie and at least had a character arc in this first episode because she had a spat with her mom mm-hmm. and her and her mom reconcile. Yeah. Now then. What would you say if I whipped up a batch of porridge and thawed out a brace of kippers? <laughs> Wouldn't that be smashing? You know, we're only four hours out of Nairobi. Why don't we hop in the combi and go have breakfast there? You mean with a table and a waitress? Dad? Yes, let's. Oh, uh, Debbie, why don't you drive? So, I mean, I, I don't, that was not part of the clip, but uh, <laughs> Debbie... And Marion do apologize to each other. Yeah. And I think that is Nigel, you know, at least giving a little bit of trust back to Debbie. Yeah. Debbie, we trust you to drive. I'm to not Nairobi. letting her drive that car. They do, though. Two hours. And it's not, you know, she's not doing a good job. But. Well, at least the mom will not be on the roof. Somebody will be there to give her instruction. Yeah. I feel like it's the most important thing, you know. <laughs> Marion made a poor decision deciding to have the Convy move while yeah. they were filming. She can't be perfect. I mean, if she was just unfallibly smart her two daughters would not be idiots i feel like you need a rig up there you need a rig on the roof you know have yeah. the camera be stationary on the rig yeah so that you could drive the combi why don't they have that they're not smart enough <laughs> it was that was an, an ex, more expensive model but believe it or not that is the end of the first episode of the wild thornberries yeah it was fine it was, it was fine it was fine. To- totally fine don't uh, ask me if i would recommend it oh uh, i mean would you recommend no. it? no I probably wouldn't do it. I'm, I'm like sitting here going like, this is nobody's favorite Nicktoon. If it is your favorite Nicktoon, let me know, I guess, you know, but I'm like, there's so much better cartoons out there. And it's like, this show had, hasn't, you know, has a good heart. Yeah. It's got iconic moments and characters. Yeah. And it's, it, it's trying to, you know, teach kids something, mm. you know, I, I was like, Sue books. <laughs> Sue books. <laughs> so at the very least, it's like, I appreciate the intentions behind this show, the heart behind it. But like, man. I can't tell anyone. Hey, go 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 rewatch the Wild Thornberries. Unless it's nostalgia talking, you know. I'm like, don't no. Yeah. But it is on Paramount Plus, as all the Nicktoons are now. So if you've got that, have at thee. Yeah, I was like, watch it if you want to f- watch it. But like, I'm not gonna say go out of your way to do yeah. it. Yeah. It's it's not worth it. There's way better cartoons out there for children that exist today. Oh, you added the four children. I was gonna say we're gonna watch one. We're gonna talk about one a little bit later. Well, that, that's a show that's evergreen. You can watch that whenever you want. Is it for children? No. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> I'm like trying to think of, though, like a show that like, you know, has the same, you know, focus on animals and globetrotting that came out recently. Cartoon? Yeah. Um, no, the the closest I can say is Hilda, but not that's not that's not the same. So, OK, Carmen maybe San Diego. 
<laughs> so maybe there, oh, there is a new Carmen Sandiego yeah. show out there. Maybe that's globe trotting, not animals. Yeah. Doctor Stuffins. Wait, those aren't animals. Those are stuffed animals. Bluey. They are animals. So I mean, maybe there is a you know something that has not been you know there's there's a thornberry shaped hole in children's entertainment still. You know? Yeah. Like we we need that you know nature show sensibility for kids entertainment. So Dora Explorer. Dora, Dora yeah, a little bit. Not, 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 it's not a, it's like not the age we're talking it's not, about. It's not, it's not quite. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, but yeah, Walter Berries, it's totally fine. Yeah. Not, not worth the Doable. recommend, honestly. No. But what did the world think? What did the world think about the globe trotters? The Wild Thornberries was a success for Nickelodeon right out of the gate with the network immediately increasing its initial 20 episode order. So it was like 20, like, you know, Wild Thornberries is a hit from the beginning and Nickelodeon was like, you must make more. And they did. Capitalism machine. By the year 2000, The Wild Thornberries was the third highest rated show among two to 11 year olds on Nickelodeon. So it was someone's favorite. <laughs> yeah. Behind only Rugrats and SpongeBob SquarePants. Ugh. And it was the second highest rated show among six to 11 year olds just behind Rugrats. Huh. So yeah, it was, it was consistently in that top three for a while. Nice. The Wild Thornberries was warmly received by critics. Of the pilot, Variety said, quote, while it's heartening to find a primetime cartoon in which kids aren't spewing bodily secretions and gratuitous profanity. Oh, wow. The half hour feels like it's missing something. Maybe it's the fact that Eliza seems less like a heroine than she does a dweeb. <laughs> or the feeling that the Rugrats gang will be paying a cross-promotional visit anytime now. Okay, well. Which. They definitely do. You called it. <laughs> and uh, that was of the pilot. Uh, that's mm, rude. Yeah, rude is what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I was like, this show is not like, I, I feel like it wasn't, it's not like soulless marketing, you know, it's not like a soulless toy machine, like Power Rangers or something. What did they say about the heroine? She's, she's a dweeb. Oh yeah, she's more dweeb than hero. And I was like, excuse me, why can't dweebs be heroes? Dweebs need heroes. But she is a dweeb and she's she, unlikable. Yes, she is. Un, she's an unlikable dweeb. <laughs> Critics have praised the show's educational and entertainment values, as well as its presentation of the natural world and diverse, and diverse cultures around the world. Rotoscopers, for example, said, quote, The Wild Thornberries is easily one of the greatest environmentally conscious TV shows of all time, standing alongside classics such as Nature, Planet Earth, Wild Kingdom, and Our Planet. Nice. Mm, I don't feel like it belongs up there exactly, but I get the sentiment. The show has also been praised for its strong characterization and family dynamics. Yeah. Familyeducation.com said, quote, It shows a family where mom and dad love each other. Mom and Eliza are strong female role models. Okay, the older sister is a ditz, but they love her anyway. <laughs> and they all stick together even through all, even though all the characters have their own weaknesses and insecurities. That's valid. And Common Sense Media said, quote, The show presents a nuclear family living an alternative lifestyle. As a result, even episodes with traditional growing up themes come across as fresh and new compared to many home and school-centered family shows. Also worth noting is the married relationship here, which is surprisingly rich and multidimensional compared to most marriages seen on television. Yeah, I agree. The Thornberry parents, true partners and great role models, include their family in the realization of their own dreams and in the pursuit of travel, creativity, and adventure. I give it to that second part. That first part, I don't know that I agree with. But it is true one of, partners and. But it is one of those things where it's like, Marion and Nigel's relationship is very sweet in a yeah. very quirky kind of way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that. 
I, and I, I think I'm sure a lot of at this point, it's like there were a lot of like marriages on TV where it's just like the mom and dad hate each other. They're always nagging and arguing. It's like you don't really see that a whole lot in the Wild Thornberries. It's like Nigel and Marion support each other yeah. so much. That's true. Do you think our marriage is more like Nigel and, and Miriam? Yes. Which one of us is the Nigel? <laughs> I would have to agree with that. There's a lot of stuff that you can do well, but there's some stuff that I'm just like, hold on. <laughs> Hello. I'm Nigel Thornberry. The Wild Thornberries has won three Genesis Awards, two Environmental Media Awards, and a Burbank International Children's Film Festival Award. Oh. So those those first two awards for were for like portrayals of the environmentalism themes mm. and the other one is from the humane society so it's like nice nature and animals this show did it yep <laughs> and what of the legacy of the wild thornberries the wild thornberries ran for five seasons of 91 episodes we we touched on a few episodes that were standouts do you remember anything else uh at one point she definitely got that magic taken away she did um no, otherwise, like, there's, like, snippets of stuff, but I'm also like, is that true? I was like, I'm sure she hung out with ma- whales at some point. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> there were, like, two episodes that I remember. Donnie like, talking? Donnie picking a, a British flag. I don't remember that. I definitely remember that. I remember there were two episodes that I felt like were pro- are probably, like, standout episodes now, like, looking back. One was an episode set in the Galap- Galapagos Islands. Right. And it was an episode that was to teach children about Darwinian evolution because (laughs) in natural selection, Mm. because Eliza finds like a sparrow or like a finch or something. Mm -hmm. And she finds out that the finch is having trouble catching worms in his tree because his beak is too tiny. Mm. So she gives him a needle, like a sewing needle to help him catch the food better. And that destroys the ecosystem (laughs) (laughs) because the bird basically over, you know, like over uh what is it eats yeah like yeah like over hunts or whatever like you know he destroys his his own food banks yeah yeah it's just like and it it, like you know from the bottom up it just destroys the ecosystem (laughs) because there's no more food and so eliza has to you know scramble to fix everything so i was like that that needle boy that was an interesting episode yeah and then there was an episode where the family is visited by jane goodall oh the the you know yes Naturalist, what is she? I don't know she is. Environmentalist. The monkey lady. <laughs> She's a monkey lady. But it's voiced <laughs> monkey by... Monkey man. She voices herself, I believe. Oh, and that's she, cool. She gives Eliza a hard time for keeping a chimpanzee with the family. <laughs> Even though Eliza's like, no, he's my friend. And I, you know, she can't tell her I talk to him. Yeah. But I, uh, Jane Goodall is like, I don't support this. <laughs> and she said it in her own voice. Something like Excellent. that. Excellent. Yeah. But then Eliza has to prove herself. Yeah. Like, you can leave, Darwin. Go. <laughs> and there wasn't there was a season where they were visited by their cousin like their cousin was like a a sixth family member that just traveled with them for a while i do not remember that i yeah. definitely was that was a out. whole season's worth and i remember that season because i was like old enough to remember when like new episodes were airing yeah you know so it was always a new episode where they were in a new place like huh. I think they went to the great wall of china huh. they did day of the dead in mexico oh interesting yeah so there's a lot of little remembrances <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely more your show than mine yeah the fourth season premiere was a five-part television special called the origin of donnie focusing on donnie thornberry's life before he was adopted i want to watch all those I, it, it was set in borneo i believe like i remember that specifically like borneo was like the focus that's so interesting i'd sit through their bad art to watch that <laughs> a theatrical film called the wild thornberries movie was released in 2002 
I remember that. I, I may have seen it. it one time. Like, in, I think it aired on television, and I watched it once. <laughs> Don't remember anything else about it. Nothing. Nothing. Uh, that film was a modest box office success and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. So you can say Academy Award Somewhere nominated. Out Not that. There. <laughs> Academy Award nominated Wild Thornberries. All right. Rugrats Go Wild, Thank a you. theatrical crossover film between Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries, was released in 2003. I saw that movie in the theater. <laughs> they gave us scratch and sniff cards. Oh, yeah. I, I told this story when we talked Rugrats, but yeah. It was like they all smelled bad, and it was a bad movie. <laughs> Eliza could talk to Spike, the Rugrats dog, and he is voiced by Bruce Willis. <laughs> Bruno sure himself. The Wild Thornberries has spawned three video games. The Wild Thornberries Animal Adventure and the Wild Thornberries Rambler in 2000, and the Wild Thornberries Chimp Chase in 2001. Oh, wow. And Wild Thornberries characters have appeared in various Nicktoon crossover games, including Nicktoons Racing, Nickelodeon Party Blast, and Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. So if you ever said to yourself, I want to punch Reptar as Nigel Thornberry, you can do that in that game. I want to punch Eliza Thornberry? <laughs> no, no, Eliza Thornberry is not a character, but you can play and, and fight as Nigel Thornberry. Uh, okay. And that's the Wild Thornberries. All right, so uh, we're going to close out our segment with a special thing because in addition, because an element of Wild Thornberry's legacy that I did not mention was the fact that Nigel Thornberry, the man, is and now- Nigel Rap. He is a internet meme. Oh, yeah. He, he, like, the internet has embraced Nigel. <laughs> like, there's- You just look it up. Go to knowyourmeme.com or whatever and look up, like, Nigel memes. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> I remember, like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, people were taking Disney princess gifts and, like, basically, it, it would start out as, like, Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. And, like, she would turn around and suddenly she's Nigel, Nigel Thornberry. <laughs> so she, people would Photoshop Nigel's face onto Disney princesses oh and places he shouldn't be. And it was crazy. <laughs> Nigel's a meme. So, to honor the meme status of Nigel, we're going to close out with Britney Spears Toxic featuring Nigel Thornberry. Oh, dear. As produced by Nigel Thornberry Vivo. Oh, dear. On YouTube. So with that, we will see you all after the break with Jess's show of on Nick's wildest new Nicktoon, The Wild Thornberries. Well, it's all about moi and how oh, I... Debbie, it's about all of us. Darwin, Donnie, me, Mom, Dad. Uh, okay, it's about how Mom and Dad drag us through the wild so they can film their nature show. Come on, we explore, we see tons of animals and have awesome adventures. Like when that rhino chase... Blah, blah, And I can blah. talk to animals, but nobody knows. What? Nothing. <gasps> the Wild Thornberries, every Tuesday and Thursday at 8, 7 Central in the Nickelodeon.
Is is this the greatest theme song ever made? Like, no, Barney. No, Barney and friends. Has get out really... of get out, get away from me. I was like, we, <laughs> you we... want to do the rest of this alone? It's gonna be a long hour and a half. We have we've covered like good theme songs. You know, we've had some real good ones, but this this is the best. Like this song is so freaking good. What about Roroni Kinchin? It's better than that. I mean, Roroni Kinchin had had. It's some... not good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That is a tank by the Seatbelts. And it is the theme song to Justice Show of 1998. And what show is that? Kaboo Beep Debuting April 3rd, 1998 on TV Tokyo. Created and animated by Sunrise. Directed by Shinichiro Watanabe. That is Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> Sorry, it's like you want to just like listen to the Cowboy Bebop theme song and just like sing along to it. You know? yeah. Just scat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so this show is uh, like the crown jewel of anime, right? Is it? It's it's like everyone like I feel like in the pantheon of great animes, this one's like, you know, in the in the top, you know? Yeah, you know, I'll give you that. I like I, it's not that I disagree at all, because obviously it is in the tops. But I don't know, man. It's like, not just even in terms of like pers- uh, like notoriety and popularity, you know, like Dragon Ball is popular. It's not necessarily a quality show. Yeah. Like, or Dragon Ball Z. Right. But yeah. this, this is a show that is of high quality and it's popular. Yeah. And yeah, it's got memorable characters and it holds up. It's just like artistic, you know, like yeah. it elevates the medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, to, so before we talk about our histories with Cowboy Bebop, can you explain to the kids what is, what is, Cowboy Bebop. Cowboys Bebopping? Cow- space be- Cowboys. B-Boys in space. B-Boys with Stensons. The illinist Bebop Boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's about bounty hunters in the future. And the future takes place in space. But it's it, it's Space Cowboys. Like, you know, it, uh, they're bounty hunters. They're, you know, they, they work for the Earth government to track down criminals. Yes. And they tr- or Mars, I don't know. International. <laughs> it's the anim- intergalactic. It's the anime response to Han Solo. <laughs> In a way, but that's the thing. So the show mixes and blends so many different cultures? Uh no, genres. Into, that's true. into, you know, what Cowboy Bebop is. So it's not just a space opera, it's a it's Noir, a wa- western a, a spaghetti western. It has like Tarantino influences. Mm-hmm. It's crime stuff. It's um slapstick it's finding your lost self it's a found family thing space opera it's a lot of different types of shows blended into one and done very well very very well yeah this is one of those rare shows that we actually have watched all the way through together we have we after we watched it you know as part of this project the first episode we're just like let's keep going you know (laughs) so tell us what what where where did you first watch the show why is it your show nami not just Toonami, Adult Swim. Yes. But I feel like I saw it first on Toonami. No, no, it was the first anime to debut on Adult Swim because Blood. it was too adult for Toonami. That's fair. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. <laughs> um, it aired at like midnight. 
Why was I watching it? How old was I again? Nine? Well, I... I, I, and, to, I mean, obviously, I was watching reruns. Yeah, yeah. Well, it didn't air... I think 2001 is when it debuted on Cartoon Network. So you were 12? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was definitely staying up late watching TV in 2001. Uh, yeah, no, I was definitely staying up late to watch anime when I was 12. <laughs> uh, yeah. My mom was a, a deep sleeper. Or I would just wake up. You know what? I think I would be because by that time I had my own room. So I think I might have just like had a VCR. And, you, you you weren't listening to the the announcer for Adult Swim. You know, all kids out of the pool. I was an adult. It's adult at Swim. I was an adult at 12. I'm barely an adult. Now. I, well, to be honest, I was also watching Adult Swim when I was 12 years old, you know. But when I was watching Adult Swim because for I wanted to watch chicken, when, robot chicken and family guy. Yeah, that's what I was watching Adult Swim for. I hate robot chicken and uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I also hate Walker Teen Awkward Teen Hunger Force. What's the one under space, underwater? Space oh, Sea Lab. Sea Lab. Sea Lab 2022. Is it 2021? I don't know. We, we should have watched it. In we, we, 2021. Yeah, we passed Sea Lab 2021. Now we're in 2022. <laughs> it would have been better at sea. Sea Lab is like two out there. That's like. It's like Aqua Teen Hunger Force is like for stoners, like a lot of stoner humor. Mm -hmm. Like C-Lab is like on another level. <laughs> a subterranean level. Subaquatic? Anyway, I watched this on Adult Swim, apparently. And obviously it was instantly... The art is so... I think... Like, kids, you've seen the other animes that we've watched for this show. Um, and what I had been... What I had been seeing, I guess, around Roni that time. Kenshin, 95. Yeah, uh, and I, I was also watching Inuyasha. Yu Yu Hakusho, 92. I think, no, Bleach wasn't out yet. I was watching Trigun. I was watching, dude, I watched so much. Now it's like coming back. It was like definitely Adult Swim. I was definitely up from like midnight to 3 a.m. and then short nap before going to school. Um, and I just think like there was something... The art style, obviously, like they're, 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 I'm not going to say anything new, but like that's the thing that drew you in. I probably like almost fell asleep to this a lot of times because it's so moody, like it's so atmospheric that it's just like chill, be quiet. Yeah, the show, the show has a lot of quiet moments, like it as bombastic, bombastic and exciting as it is in some moments. It's equally quiet and contemplative in others. Yeah, it's a very mature show not in like you know mature as in like mature uh content mm -hmm. you know like violence and sex appeal even though it does have those things yeah but mature and like has mature themes yeah you know, like that adults will appreciate yeah like all the like love lines what is it called love the re relationship plots love plots romantic plots all the romantic plots are not what you would typically see in any kind of show, especially for kids, but yes, no, especially for kids. That's why I'm calling, I think calling it adult fits so well because it's not a like, oh, wow, yes. And like back and forth and like, we see this working out. Like it's a lot of like, all the relationships in here are like love lorn, love broken. And <laughs> so I did not watch Cowboy Bebop as a kid. I, at this point on Media Made, we've already talked about basically the two anime that I like watched as a kid. It mm -hmm. was like Pokemon, yep. Dragon Ball, and then Yu-Gi-Oh, which hasn't come out yet. But right. uh, that, that was it, really. You know, maybe whatever like anime that uh, Fox Kids and Kids WB were trying to air in addition, you know, like kind of supplement the, the Pokemon mania yeah. going on. Right. But I was really like 
I watched those animes, but I really wasn't an anime fan. Mm -hmm. By the time I reached, you know, late elementary school, middle school, I, I like just kind of not stopped watching anime. You know, I had friends who watched Naruto and Bleach, but I just never got into those things. Yeah. So I missed Cowboy Bebop completely. And it got to the point where like once I became an adult, I started asking friends, you know, who were big anime fans like you who watched, you know, Toonami back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, what what's, like, the best anime? What anime should I just watch, you know? Because I'm, like, I haven't really been exposed to a whole lot of anime since I was a very small child. Like, what what's the best? And the answer is always bo-bo-bo-bo-bo-bo-bo-bo. It's not that. <laughs> and, like, honestly, like, you hear people talk about, like, oh, you know, like, One Piece is so good, but it's also a thousand episodes long. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, give me a... What's a good short anime? Because I don't want to watch a thousand episodes and I don't want to watch like filler. Yeah. You know? And they're like, and the answer, like, it seemed like it de it's dependent on generations. But mm. most people who are either our age or just a little bit older say Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Cowboy Bebop's the best anime, right? And then people our age say um, the best anime is um, Full Metal Alchemist Brother Brotherhood. Ugh. Okay. Real quick. <laughs> Real quick, kids. I will never watch Full Metal Alchemist. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. I have because, no because I did watch Full Metal Alchemist and I got to the first thing with the dog and I was like, mm. and then got to another thing. It's like, mm. and then I got to Hughes and I said, I quit and I'm never watching this again. I will never be partaking of Brotherhood. I, um, I don't know what you're talking about. That's perfectly fine. I'm not going to, I just, for just the, the the people, for the children out there who are listening to this that are like, oh man, I'm in that demographic that loves, we will never talk about that show here, ever. I'm not watching it. I won't even be paid to watch it. The only reason I will ever watch it is because I've already told Alice, <laughs> the only way she's going to get me to watch it is if I'm on my deathbed and I can't change the channel and she comes in and makes me. Mm. I'm not doing it. Trash. Yeah. Anyway, and then the <laughs> the the folks who are like a bit younger than us, you know, who are now adults, they say the best anime is My Hero Academia, which again I have no opinion on. I have not seen it. I hate the art though; it makes me uncomfortable. I like it. I, I look at it. and I was like, that that looks like that doesn't, you know, just like aesthetically, it doesn't please me. I don't want to mm, look at it. I enjoy it. I haven't finished it because. I don't have time in my life to devote to anime, um, but I think I got through the first two or three seasons and I really enjoyed it. Um, I get what you're saying, though. I don't watch Chowder because I don't like the art. Yeah. So but so all that to say for a very large group of anime fans, Cowboy Bebop is the golden goose. It's the cream of the crop. Uh, so when you said Cowboy Bebop is my show of 1998, uh, it was sort of like, cool, now I get to watch it. And I was like, now I see why. People like it so much. It's a very good show. It is a very good show. And it's so not exactly anime. You know, anime has a lot of tropes. There's a lot of tropes in like, you know, your uh, shonen anime, right? Mm -hmm. Like for the longest time, like that's the only anime I was exposed to, right? Right. Naruto, One Piece, they all fall into this in Dragon Ball. They all fall into the very similar style and trope, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Cowboy Bebop has a bunch of other uh, elements included. And we talked about it, you know, all those different genre bending and mixing yeah i think like i uh, i think like because you were only exposed to those kinds it, yeah there's some stuff that is tropey but that's because it's a genre in the same way if you're watching romance you need to like yeah oh there's I get gonna it. be a three yeah it. because i was like this isn't 
Yeah, if this is the only one that you've watched like this, then yeah, absolutely. It's just like, oh, it's so different. It was like, no, this is a genre in, in and of itself. It, yeah. It it does is. it do it the best? I'm going to say yes because I haven't seen any of the other ones. The other ones that I've watched that are in this drama haven't been. Genre have not been this good, but they are, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was like, also, uh, I forgot to mention, people also say that Neon Genesis Evangelion is the best anime. Yeah. Again, I have no opinion on that. I've seen one episode and I thought it was pretty good. I didn't finish it. So uh, let's talk about Cowboy Bebop, the best anime. The best anime. Arguably, I don't know. Arguably, because there's something I think is a little bit. Come at me, I don't know. <laughs> as far as I know, it's the best anime I've seen, to be honest. So, you know, mm -hmm. best anime I've seen. <laughs> All right. So the story of Cowboy Bebop is kind of the story of Sunrise Studios. Ah. So Sunrise Studios Limited was founded in 1972 by former members of Mushi Productions, which was known for successful anime series such as Astro Boy, Princess Knight, Kimba the White Lion, and Dodoro. Dodoro. Dororo? Dororo? What does it start with? A D? Yeah. Dororo. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think. Anyway. Yeah, classic like 70s anime. Like, you know, like the golden age. Mm. Right? So that's what they were famous for. That's Mushi. And then some like animators decided to leave Mushi and form their own studio. DreamWorks. Sunrise. <laughs> the, founding the founding members of Sunrise decided that rather than having anime production revolve around a single creator... Production on their shows should focus on the producers as a team. Mm. So this is like a singular vision amongst a group of people. That's nice. Thus, most Sunrise Productions bear the pseudonym Hajimi Yatate as the original creator credit. So, yeah, yeah it's like when they say like, you know, Cowboy Bebop by Hajime Yatate. Yatate. <laughs> what, what's the correct there? I can't see it. <laughs> Uh, meant to, that, and that credit is meant to represent the collective contributions of the entire Sunrise animation staff. That's cool. That is, Yeah, it's cool. It's novel. Yeah. For the next two decades, Sunrise's bread and butter was robot anime. Mm, Gundam! Big O! I loved Big O growing up. Continue. They hit it big, in particular, with 1979's Mobile Suit Gundam and its many subsequent spinoffs. Hey. They also produced shows like Armor Trooper Votoms. Space Runaway, Ideon, Crusher Joe, Dirty Pear, and The Vision of Escaflone, just to name a few. Escaflone is the one I didn't care for. That's the one. By 1996, Sunrise had grown to 10 individual studios, helping the company to crank out an average of three anime series a year. Oh, wow. Full yeah. series? Yes. What? They're very busy. Prolific. Uh, Cowboy Bebop came out of Studio 2. Huh. Cowboy Bebop's key creative team consisted of director Shinichiro Watanabe, screenwriter Keiko Nobumoto, character designer Toshihiro Kawaboto, mechanical designer Kimitoshi Yamane, and composer Yoko Kano. A lot of people. So yeah. that is like those five people are like the minds behind Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Shinichiro Watanabe is kind of like the head. He directed the series, you know? So a lot of people refer like they they allude to him when they talk about like the creative vision behind um cowboy bebop but it's basically those five people okay They're almost in equal measure they're all very important yeah so i'm going to list out some of their credits before cowboy bebop to tell you where these came from shinichiro watanabe was best known for co-directing ova series macross plus and mobile suit gundam 0083 stardust memory uh so from i i, I can't say this from my own knowledge, but I have, I was listening to some podcasts about Cowboy Bebop just as references mm -hmm. and research. 
And I was told that Macross Plus is essentially like proto Cowboy Bebop. Mm. So if you watch Macross Plus, you will see a lot of the DNA that ended up in Cowboy Bebop. Macross Plus, you are a father. You are the father. So Cowboy Bebop was Watanabe's first project as a solo director. Cool. Keiko Nobumoto was best known for writing on Macross Plus. So like they all, a lot of them came from Macross Plus. Mm -hmm. And he wrote the live action horror film World Apartment Horror. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. I don't like the title. The title already sounds like something I wouldn't watch because it would give me nightmares. Toshihiro Kawamoto was best known as the lead character designer on Mobile Suit Gundam 003-0083 Stardust Memory, Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Last Blitz of Xeon, and Mobile Suit Gundam the 8th MS Team. It's like... NFTs? <laughs> Man, I mean, there's nothing more anime in Japanese than long titles. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so he, he was a Gundam man coming from... He, he designed the characters in those Gundams. Kimitoshi Yamane was best known as the mecha designer for Bubblegum Crisis, AD Police Dead End City, Golf Force, Megazone 23, The Vision of Escaflone, and Mobile Suit Gundam, the 8th MS Team. I think I've seen Bubble Suit, Bubblegum Suit. I've seen most of Bubblegum Crisis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the, he's like he's like the veteran of this group, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think he, from what I understand, he was a freelancer this, by this point. So anime studios would like hire him to basically draw the mecha. You know, mm. so he was a influential, important mecha designer. So he drew all the robots. Nice. So like all those classic Gundam robots. Like he's you know. got a skill. <laughs> he does. He uses it very well. Yeah, and you know, he he. I think honestly, they brought him in because he had a vision for making robots that look cool, so that kids wouldn't want to buy the toy. Oh well, that yeah. that definitely is a marketable skill. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and honestly, I love his mecha designs. Okay, mm -hmm. I've seen. Like Bubblegum Crisis, look like the robots look amazing. Yeah, true. Yeah. And uh, like, he, so he's probably drawn the ships in Cowboy Bebop, and yeah, they all look very cool and stylized. And they have that like gritty, to me, like almost like like a dirty '80s look. You yeah. know, like they have influence in like Blade Runner, mm -hmm. you know, and like Dirty Star Wars. Yeah, you know, it's just like <laughs> episodes four through seven. A, a lived-in future design, Six. you know, like. Just something about it. Just it, it's like the pinnacle of like, yeah. yeah. It's the aesthetic you like. Every time like we would start an episode, Akira, for example, like that that aesthetic. Nope, nope. <laughs> Sorry, that's another one of my 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 anime hot buttons. Absolutely not. Nope, mm -mm, don't like it. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, Yoko Kano was best known as the composer for Macross Plus and the Vision of Escaflone. So we'll get back to Yoko Kano, but uh, I do want to correct myself because we talked Cowboy Bebop briefly in our previous episode, 1998 music. Yeah. Uh, you compared a song by the Liquid Tension Experiment to Cowboy Bebop music. Yes. And I did not, had not done the research yet. And I just said, oh, you know, the guy who wrote the music for Cowboy Bebop, it's a woman. <laughs> yeah. And she uh, is very important. Yes. She does good. For Very, mankind. Yep. Yeah, and so I'll get into a little bit more of her creative uh, influence on the show in a second. But Cowboy Bebop initially originated with Japanese toy maker Bandai as a sponsor mm. with the goal of selling spacecraft toys. So essentially Bandai invested in this show through Sunrise and said, hey, make us a space show so that we can sell spaceship toys. I mean, fair. I, honestly, as soon as you said that, I was like, I would love to have a model of Spike's ship. Yeah, the Bebop. I, I want it. Can we get one of those? Director 
Shinichiro Watanabe recalled that his only instruction was, quote, so long as there's a spaceship in it, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> All the spaceships. Every single one of them. Also, I noticed you didn't respond to my spaceship, my wanting of a bebop uh, model. Is it because you think it's expensive? It probably, probably is. is. <laughs> the show experienced a setback, however, when Bandai pulled out of the project after viewing early footage. What? Watanabe's vision wow. for the series reportedly didn't match what Bandai wanted, and Bandai felt that the show would never sell toy merchandise. <sighs> <laughs> I hope uh, we can find the toys we want for free just to rub it in Bandai's face. Luckily, sister company Bandai Visual, which was like their, you know, media wing, mm -hmm. right? They, they weren't focused on the toys. They were working on probably anime and movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. They stepped in to sponsor the project instead. So this is still a Bandai joint. Ah. Because there was no need to merchandise toys anymore, uh, Watanabe had free reign to develop the series in any way he liked. Nice. So he it was a boon. He later joked that if Bandai Visual hadn't intervened, quote, you might be seeing me working on a supermarket checkout counter somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so thank you, Bandai Visual. Thank you, Visual. Watanabe wanted to design not just a space adventure series for adolescent boys, but a program that would also appeal to sophisticated adults, with his biggest inspiration for the show being the crime anime series Lupin the Third. I knew you were going to say Lupin! <laughs> you don't like Lupin. Don't like only, I, I don't. I, I don't necessarily. It's you, not that I don't like it. I, I've seen a bit of it. It's like it's fun and you know quirky. Mm -hmm. I don't really like the art. Yeah. It, it, like Lupin Long is very. Limbed. Yeah, it's very like stretchy and mm -hmm. you know like uh, what's the like fire hose animation? You know, it's very like rubber bands. Yeah, everyone moves very fluid like you know and unnatural. Uh, so that kind of turns me off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, I get it. But like but... Lupin the Third, I understand is a very influential property. Mm -hmm. it, it it influenced a lot of anime creators. Yeah. Uh, and so I've apparently like you can see the similarities in like you know the Lupin's team mm -hmm. from the show. And it, the the fight scenes are very reminiscent, like the long kicks and things like that. I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. Just the character archetypes, President Lupin, are carried over into Cowboy Bebop. Mm -hmm. Like the Bebop crew kind of has the same core archetypes that are present in Lupin the Third. Yeah. You know, your wiry, cunning, uh, thief type character at the, at the forefront, you know, and then mm -hmm. you got the, you got the heavy cop. <laughs> you, got the, you got the lady. Yep. Yeah. The, the femme fatale. Yeah. Femme fatale. It's all there. A dog and a kid. <laughs> That's it. When developing the series story, Watanabe began by creating the characters first. He explained, quote, the first image that occurred to me was one of Spike. And from there, I tried to build a story around him, trying to make him cool. So Spike Spiegel is kind of like the focal point. Yeah. Main character of Cowboy Bebop, because you don't know, is Spike Spiegel. I didn't know his last name was Spiegel. I didn't know he had his last name. Spiegel? Yeah. Like Siegel, except fast? I guess so. <laughs> you know, he, how do you describe Spike? He's just like this. High <laughs> in the air, because he's tall. High in the air, because he's tall. He's a tall, thin, wiry, like... He's got a lot of shoulders. He's got a lot. He's got a lot. Shoulders for a mountain range of shoulders. He's a, <laughs> he's a smooth-talking, like, con man kind he's of character. He's got great too. hair. He's got a great jawline. Perfect eyes. He's got that wah, 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 because he, he, he practices karate in zero G. He's also constantly hungry. He's constantly hungry and poor. Uh, and, um... But he's like got a soft like he's catches criminals, got a soft spot for people who are down in their outs. Yeah. 
and he's got a dark past, but more on Spike later. All right, so according to composer Yoko Kano, the music was one of the first aspects of the series to begin production. Oh. Yeah, um, so I couldn't find um, like quotes to back this up, but I saw some people kind of uh, report that the idea for the show as far as like, you know, plotting and structure and like just the, the way it's the way the story is told, you know, mm-hmm. with the genres and stuff was to emulate freeform jazz because freeform jazz is just very free. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a genre that could just go places mm-hmm. wherever, you know, wherever the music will take you, man, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes it'll slow down, sometimes it'll pick up. You know, it's very dynamic in that way. Like progressive metal. I knew you were gonna say <laughs> that. It just turns into a, a three minute countdown. What was it? That really long song that we talked about last time? Three minute countdown? Three minute warning. It just turns into a three minute warning. That's all jazz is a three minute warning. Yeah, so <laughs> like Yoko Kano took that and basically made a jazz centric soundtrack for the show. Mm-hmm. And that helped influence every aspect of Cowboy Bebop because she began working on the music before most of the character story animation had even been finalized. Mm. So um, I guess the idea was that Yoko Kano would come to Watanabe with ideas for the music that she wrote. He would then take her ideas and implement them into the show. And then he would show her how the show had been developed. She would then take those developments, go back to her music team and write more music, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, reiterate on the music that she had written and it just became this feedback loop feedback loop where they're constantly making each other better yeah this sounds like so much fun to be a part of yeah uh or to be adjacent of it sounds like a lot of work if you're a part of it yoko kano assembled an international ensemble named seatbelts to perform the show's music with a focus on western opera and jazz hey you know when we were dating and you took me out on a date where we saw zelda in symphony yes we should do that for Cowboy Bebop. I, I think seatbelts every so often will tour. Let's go. Are they in Japan? Oh, speaking of seatbelts, I forgot to tell the story when, like, in terms of how I discovered the show. Um, my first real uh, exposure to Cowboy Bebop was that theme song by the seatbelts. Mm-hmm. I think I heard it in a podcast or something, you know, and I had never heard or or maybe it was shared on YouTube. It was one of those YouTube algorithm things. Right. And I was like, this is this is rocket. I love this. <laughs> I love this theme song. So I downloaded the song, the theme song to Cowboy Bebop, having never watched Cowboy Bebop because <laughs> I just liked the sound of their theme song so much. So good. And I ended up using that theme song in like video projects that I made, you know, like mm-hmm. I just like was having fun with the theme song before I even watched the show. So. <laughs> you had no idea that it came from it. Nope. Oh. Watanabe and the team developed Cowboy Bebop with an ending in mind. Uh, as Watanabe did not want the series to become like Star Trek, with him being tied to doing it for years. That is the smartest move to make as a creative. That's the sp- Here's the thing. That's the smartest move to make as a creative, especially if your company is going to like honor that. Because I've seen yeah. some stuff where, where the, the creators and writers are like, and we're done here. And you're like, that was perfect. But the the company's like, nah, it's got good ratings. Do some more. And you're like, no, it's not the story anymore. Now it's all filler. And now we have 13 seasons of filler. So that, it's that, that age old question. Is it better to burn out or fade away? It's better to end when the creator <laughs> says it's over. Yeah. So I, he, yeah, I, I, look, I it's like it's hilarious that he specifically pointed to Star Trek and said, yeah, Star Trek just kept going and got bad. 
So it jumped many space sharks. Yeah. So he's like, I didn't want to like just drag it out. I'd rather yeah. just like, you know, burn real bright with, you know, a creative vision that I'm proud of and then call it a quits. Did Star Wars, did Star Trek get bad? I, I, it, well, I we don't watch Star Trek. No, not really. Star Wars got bad. Star Wars got bad. <laughs> uh, but that's Cowboy Bebop for the most part. Bebop. You want to talk about this episode? Yeah. All right. So the first episode of Cowboy Bebop is called Session One Colon Asteroid Blues because every episode of Cowboy Bebop is a session. They're not episodes. They're sessions because because jazz. It's like a jazz session. Yeah. Yes. So Asteroid Blues, which is what it is in Japan as well, um, and it opens with our two main characters. Who are those main characters? Spike and Jet. Asimov Solinson. He's our next target. Uh, listen, Jet. This guy's a major player in the Syndicate. Operates all around the asteroids. You said bell peppers and beef. His name's Asimov Solinson. Are you listening to me? There's no beef in here. So you wouldn't really call it bell peppers and beef, now would you? Yes, I would. Well, it's not! It is when you're broke, all right? What happened to the million Wulong reward we got for that last guy? The repair bill for that cruiser you wrecked. And the one from that shop you trashed. And the medical bill from the cop you injured. Kill the dough! Jet has such a good voice. Voice actor for Jet is so good. Speaking of those voice actors, so uh, Spike Spiegel in the English dub we just heard is Steve Blum, who is mm -hmm. a voice acting uh, veteran. He's yep. everybody. He He's your go-to guy if you want to voice Wolverine in a video game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Jet... Jet Black is his name. Mm. His voice Jethro by Jethro Black. Bo Billingsley. Good job, Bo. Good job, Bo. Uh, so describe these characters for us. We, we described Spike a little bit, but you, you can actually you have a voice to, you know, put to the, the description there now. Spike is hungry. Spike doesn't understand why there's no beef when Jet said there would be beef. He's, so <laughs> the thing is. That scene does a very good job. And that's like, you know, essentially the first interaction they have. You know, mm -hmm. it shows their life on this spaceship. They're bounty hunters and they just like travel from place to place, try and figure out who their next bounty is going to be, who's their next quarry. Right. Uh, and the guy's got to eat. You know, they got to make money so they can eat. They're just trying to make a living out there. And that's what they do. This is their life. And uh, this scene is great because it shows the characters, you know, kind of like their flaws and their personality. Mm. Spike is irresponsible he, he doesn't really have a good um sense of spatial awareness <laughs> or just like he 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 doesn't think things through yeah you know he's just kind of like he's in the moment so you know when he's out doing a bounty he's gonna cause a collateral he's going to cause a lot of collateral damage yeah it's the thing that you don't necessarily really uh well i mean i think about it all the time but when you're watching superhero movies and stuff uh, and it's just like everything is being broken and da da da. I was like, who's gonna pay for that? What about the people that are dead in there? Marvel's doing a better job now of like doing side stories that are like, yes, this had an effect. But it's like one of those things that in in you usually like, especially in anime, when people are like overpowered and stuff like that. Like when you're watching freaking Goku go Super Saiyan four, destroying a whole moon. Nobody talks about how the Earth is now dead. Like yeah, Cowboy Bebop is super grounded. Yeah, like it talks about just the you know if this was a real place, you know, like what would life be like? And it's like yeah, these guys are you know hungry bounty hunters because mm -hmm. like you know the business is hard. Starving artists. <laughs> um, and 
I was like, I, I think Spike's such a fun character because he's like, there are scenes where he's a smooth talker, you know, he's kind of, a, he's got, he's cool under pressure, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but then other times, like he, he just falls apart because he's a little baby, <laughs> you know, he's very immature in some cases, especially when he's hungry. Yeah. And he thinks with his stomach. He's a bit like Goku in that way. Yeah. And then he's very well contrasts with Jet, who mm -hmm. is a. The adult in the room. He's a wise, big, older man. Right. Middle he's age. steady. He's stable. I always used to think he was a black man. But upon this last watching, I was like, I don't think Jet is a black man. Well, I mean, in the show, I don't think he's a black. Yeah. Man. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> he is the no-nonsense. He's the straight man. Bo Billingsley is a black man. I mean, obviously. <laughs> the, that is a black man's voice. Yeah. Obviously. But <laughs> Jet, <laughs> the character. Um, yeah, he's just like, daddy? <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is the group's father figure, yes. Yes. Um, you know, and like... Goodness, goodness. Uh, I was reading some like reviews and criticism about Cowboy Bebop and people mm -hmm. praised Jet for being like this jack of all trades type character. Yeah. Like he's well-rounded. He's yeah. complex because he's not just like the heavy, right? Like mm -hmm. he's not like a muscle head or something, right? He's calm, collected, wise. He he can ha handle himself in a fight. Like mm -hmm. there's a scene where he gets a dude in a chokehold, you know, and tries to interrogate him, get some information out of him. <laughs> So he can handle himself physically, but he's also, you know, tender hearted, you mm -hmm. know, and, and there are constantly scenes where he's just tending a bonsai tree. Yeah. You know, so he, <laughs> and he cooks. So like the first thing you see is him calling Spike. He's like, Spike, dinner's ready. Got some, uh, bell peppers, got some bell peppers and beef, you know? And so is he wearing his apron? Does he have yeah. an apron on? Yeah. So he's. A very uh, well-rounded character. Yeah. I think upon rewatching it this uh, last time that we went all the way through, I was like, oh, man, I used to like really, really love Spike. And that hasn't changed. I love Spike a lot. But Jet, <laughs> Jet I mean, they, like the show does a really, really good job of like balancing the characters. But Jet is like, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to be the Jet. I don't. He's lived a life <laughs> and he is he's a grown man. Character designer uh, Toshihiro Kabamoto designed the show's characters so that they could be easily distinguished from one another. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, Spike and Jet in particular were designed to be exact opposites of each other. With Spike being thin, wearing smart attire, and Jet being bulky, wearing more casual clothes. Is that why Jet's bald? Probably. <laughs> and then uh, Spike's got a nice full head of hair. Nice full head of green. Um, like visually, like they remind me of Cloud and Barrett from Final Fantasy VII, uh, just visually. Like mm -hmm. and, and like Cloud and Barrett from Final Fantasy VII uh, have very like I don't know they're almost like stock characters, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Spike and Jet on a superficial level fall into the same character archetypes as those two characters from that video game, but Cowboy Bebop takes them and you know kind of adds layers to the stock yeah. character. Yeah. I mean, I've obviously never played those games, but uh, I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> Skinny lead character who has a muscle, big, you know, uh, cyborg friend. Yeah. He's like and, the bodyguard type character. And I think I, I, it's it's good because like the characters are multifaceted in a way. Like usually be like, oh, they're, that one is the co comic relief and that one's the, the series. But no, they all have like, they're all funny. 
in their own way. They're all very intense in their own way. Even the character that comes in later that's not in this episode that we will definitely talk about, who is the comic relief for a lot of just like the, she, she's the whimsy. Yeah. She still has like heavy, like her own episodes. Some of them are just like, oh, <laughs> oh, I'm crying now. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, yeah. The show does so well with characterization, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about Daddy Jet. <laughs> oh, Jet, Jet is also a cyborg. We should mention that, right? He has a metal arm. Is that right? Yes. He lost it when he was a cop. Yeah. So he's like, he all, like, Jet also fits into that ex cop noir uh, detective type yeah. character. You yeah. Know, he's, he's got like, connections that keep them afloat. There are episodes where Jet just goes on the, he, he goes on the prowl, like, mm -hmm. you know, for, for a perp, right? He, he, will follow a perp's uh, footsteps just like a, a detective would. You yeah. Know, your private eye type character. Yeah. He'll he'll don a fedora in a trench coat and go out into the rain and try to figure out what's up. Yeah. He's really good at his job. Yeah. He does very well. He is, as you said, a jack of all trades. Oh, also, I found out that Spike is partially based on Bruce Lee. And oh, I can see that. And Yusaku Matsuda's role as Shinsaku Kudo in the TV series Detective Story. Those are all bad... Uh, pronunciations, but that's okay. I wouldn't know what the shows you were talking about anyway. So Spike, <laughs> he he practices kung fu. Yeah, looks like tai chi or something. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a martial artist as well. You know, so yeah. these characters fit many roles. Yeah, and he shoots guns. So uh, Spike and and he Jet. rides horses. Yes. <laughs> so Spike and Jet, they're bounty hunters, as we said. And yes. uh, the first episode is them trying to track down a bounty. No. Three days ago, there was a big shootout between his group and a rival syndicate. He killed his own guys, then took off like the wind. Word is he's hiding out with some sweet thing in Tijuana. TJ? That place is for small fries. Yeah, well, this small fry is worth two and a half million. I don't feel like it. Speaking of beef, they say in TJ, the carnitas are out of this world. And they 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 mean the literal Tijuana. So yeah, they're mm -hmm. they're going to Mexico. Yes, in this on, episode on Earth. <laughs> yeah. So in this show, they travel back and forth between Earth and Mars because Earth is, or Mars has been colonized by this yeah. point. You know? In this episode, just you mean in the whole general. Show? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I thought it was more than just those two planets. I think it's just those two. I'm pretty sure it's more than just those there, two. There there might be, but yeah, they travel to Mars and Earth quite often. Yeah. You know, and, and Earth is still Earth. It still has the same, you know, countries and stuff. You said Earth. Earth. Welcome to Mars. <laughs> Welcome to Marf. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you asked me a question when we watched it. You were like, oh, I wonder if it's Tijuana in the Japanese dub or the, the Japanese original. Yeah. And, I, and so I looked it up and this is what the Japanese sounds like of that exact same clip. こいつの組織と敵対する組織との構想があったんだが、こいつは仲間を殺して飛んずらしやがった。奴はティワナの女のところに逃げ込んだらしい。あんなところザコの行くところだよ。ザコの割に賞金は250万だ。ならねえな。
You know, not nostalgia clouding your brain or anything like mm-hmm. that. If you look at something soberly, sub is like eight times out of ten better than the dubbed. Yes. Right. Cowboy Bebop, there is a strong case. And people make that case that, no, the English dub is actually better produced and better acted than the Japanese original. Yep. Uh, They cast the better casting. Yep. Uh, So that's a legit uh, (laughs) debate. I I looked it up. Like, no, people are like, you know, they're making the case. And like, I think I was at least on some of the communities I was looking at, you know, and like Reddit threads and stuff like that. Consensus was, no, the dub's better. Yeah. And, uh. There's the, an exception to the rule. Yeah, this this season was, or this series was uh, dubbed by Animes, the Animes group, and mm. uh, they've won awards for how well they dubbed Cowboy Bebop. It's it's really well done. So Spike and Jet, they're going to head down to Tijuana to catch a bounty. Tijuana. And they're talking about, like, they, they're talking about, you know, sh- shootouts, and they're going to go to, like, some sleepy Mexican bar down there, mm-hmm. right? And it feels like a Western. Like it's presented like a Western. It's got Western music, Mm -hmm. Western aesthetics. Like they're just in like this sleepy Mexican town and, you know, they go to the bar and, you know, the the bartender's polishing his glasses and, you know, there are two old men playing cards in the corner. There's there's three old men playing cards in the corner, you know, Uh, it feels just like a, if not a straight up Western, a neo Western. Yeah, absolutely. It reminded me of from dusk till dawn or Desperado. Or Once Upon a Time in Mexico, uh, Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez films of this era, mm-hmm. because those are movies being released around this time. That's what they were going for. Yeah. I've never seen any of those movies. <laughs> I've never even heard of some of them. Anyway, before Jet and Spike get there, though. The 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 quarry and the sweet young thing walk in there. Also, can um, I cosplay as that sweet young thing for no. like Halloween if we if we're if we're um, going to outside places? If you cover yourself up, you know, fifty percent more. I just want to present as very 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 pregnant to people who have not seen me in a very long time <laughs> and, and just inst- see how that goes. And over. Instead, instead of a pregnant belly, it's actually syringes of drugs. Yes. Um, yeah. So we we see. The quarry, whose name is Asimov, who is clearly a reference to Isaac Asimov, the director, the 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 author, wrote iRobot. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's a he's a very prolific sci-fi writer, cool. very important, influential. Uh, I read some of his stuff in college. College? Did you finish it? Did you read well, it? Well, re- we have iRobot on the shelf over there. I've read it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, this show is drawing influences from not only those Western stuffs, but from the sci-fi, like. The hardest of ha- hardcore sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know, like the granddaddy of sci-fi. <laughs> granddaddy. Anyway, uh, Asimov and his sweet thing. Is it Maria? Is that her name? Yeah, Maria. Uh, they show up at this bar in Tijuana to sell drugs. They've got a special drug called Bloody Eye. Give me a beer. And I all have a Bloody Mary. In fact, me get a double. I've got the vodka, but I'm afraid I'm fresh out of tomato juice. I'm sure there's one can in the back room. I'll check. Premium Red Eye, you're a buyer, you know the score. Check it out. Is that real Bloody Eye? What is Bloody Eye? It is a drug that you take by spraying red stuff into your eye and it turns your eyes bloodshot and it gives you... Have you ever seen that Futurama episode where where um, main Kit Fry just drinks 100 cups of coffee and then is able to pass through time? No. Okay. Well, that's basically what it does. It's a performing it gives, enhancing drug. It gives drug. you Matrix. 
He, yeah, it's like gives this, you bullet dodging. It's it's a drug that you spray in your eye, and it gives you superpowers briefly. And uh, Asimov try, like does the demonstration because you know, like in classic crime film way, you know, the mobster walks into the back of the bar to sell the drugs, and he's like, "Is that real?" Yeah, I'll show you. You know, you gotta you gotta you gotta show him that it's real. You gotta dip your finger in that cocaine and rub it on your teeth. Yeah. So yeah, I, <laughs> Asimov demonstrates the uh, the bloody eye by spraying in his face, and he gets superpowers briefly. It's like. He, he, it makes you like this, like wild animal almost, you know, with superhuman mm-hmm. strength and lightning quick speed. Yeah. Um, and he, it, it, it's fortuitous because right as he takes the drugs, um, a hit squad shows up to basically hit him. Yeah. Take him out and recover his stolen drugs. Uh, but he is able to use his superpowers to dodge all the bullets and kill all the hitmen and get out with his pregnant girlfriend. Yeah. So the thing is, yeah. The, he, Jet mentioned it in that exposition scene, but they've stolen an entire shipment of this bloody eye mm-hmm. and they're selling it to buyers all over the land, c- city, planet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, I, I assume he they stole it from the people. A, they, syn- a crime syndicate. A crime syndicate, which he had already he had worked for previously. So it yeah. seems like he's going around to the people who would have been buying them anyway to like unload and get off. Yeah. Get, get your get your score and get out of there. Yeah. yeah. So he's wrong to the mob. Mm-hmm. You know, so sort of like a mob movie too. Yeah, <laughs> a mob episode, a mob session. So, and and Spike and Jet are like caught in the middle of this whole ordeal. You because know, they want that money. They're trying to get the bounty, but the bounty is being hunted by hitmen. So Jet and Spike have to duck both of them. Yeah. And they kind of split off. Yeah. They split off. I don't know why they go separately. Jet probably says that's probably the best fight. So like Spike goes off in the bebop to go look around and Jet goes to a fortune teller spike goes to a fortune teller uh because he's kind of eccentric that's true and that's tra- why he takes off and jet is actually like sleuthing sleuthing and he shows up to the bar after it's been shot up and and trashed by Asimov. yeah like he's doing his job and he's doing it well and he, then he's like getting some free booze and information and um spike is lucky to have run into them yeah, so and he thieves food because he's a hungry boy. Before we get to that part, uh, you you mentioned that Jed is at the bar investigating, and he has to get some information because additional hitmen show up to the bar, mm-hmm. and and Jet muscles into you know he, he uses his muscles to to get some information out of him. Yeah. <gasps> Damn! Just look at this. Asimov went berserk. No joke. We gotta take care of him before the cops move in. Maybe we should just let the cops deal with him, as long as he's using that red eye on himself. You can't beat him. We got to. If we don't get that bloody eye back, trust me, we'll all be twisting in the wind. Maybe so, huh? You. Uh? <gasps> Tell me some more. He's got this guy in a chokehold, and he's using a bloody bottle to threaten him by the throat. Tell me some more. <laughs> so that's, that's how Jet handles some situations. Yeah. Brute, brute strength and sleuthing and he sleuthed talk. himself into a position where he could use his brute strength to get the job done yeah and he's able to piece together what happened when he walks into that bar too yeah you know so he he's a he's a smart guy he's a smart guy whereas uh spike is a uh lucky con- he's son a, of he's a, a lucky con man 
That's what he is. <laughs> yeah, so he just happens to run into Asimov and Maria mm-hmm. while they're just like taking a break. Yep. And they're, they're buying food at like a gas station or something. Yep. And Spike uses that opportunity that he just stumbled into to basically play a con man and pretend. He has no idea who they are. Right. Yep. And he's, he, he's a good looking man. He's just using his, his good looks to... To flirt sw- with a very pregnant woman. Nice ship. Yeah, it's a blast from the past. I've had it for 10 years. It looks like it's been around. Guess you could say we've done some traveling. I'm actually a traveling performer. (laughs) I can't tell when you're joking and when you're not. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Ever been to Mars? I was born on Mars. I hear they have everything there. Not like here. There's parks and festivals and the people are happy there. It must be a great place to live. Sure, if you're rich. Then I'm sure we will be quite happy. So, I mean, it, it, like when I said the show has mature themes, they're discussing like class differences. And, mm-hmm. You know, I was like, this sounds like two adults talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it is that. Side note, I caught, did you happen to get the Japanese dub of this part? I did not. That's perfectly fine. I just was like, did they put on a Spanish accent? While speaking Japanese, that could be interesting. That would be interesting. But yeah, the, you 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 did note that when we watched the episode, you were like, you appreciated. I did, I did not like. I think that's also one of those things that I'm like, the the dub does so well. Well, like it's taking place in a world where there's lots of languages and stuff. Um, but you're in Mexico, and someone is speaking English, which makes sense. Tijuana is pretty close to the border um and there's an accent i just really really appreciate the 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 detail there yeah and that it's not like hokey yeah just sounds like some lady yeah with an accent yeah um and you did you did note that the show features a world where there are many uh, diverse locations represented that was a conscious choice yeah. by watnabi he said he envisioned a world that was quote multinational rather than stateless so he didn't want it to be uniform. Mm-hmm. He wanted to show the world as it was. And he wanted to have several groups of ethnic diversity appear in the series. Yeah, I like super duper appreciate that because I think like obviously at the time uh, and contemporary stuff and stuff that's a little bit older, uh, if there were any other colors, they would be kind of caricatures. Yeah. And not well done and so all the things here like any of the the different peoples that you see in any different colors and stuff they still look like people like it's done pretty tastefully yeah yeah yeah. it's done so well which i think again is one of those things like i appreciate not just because it was it was because it was a conscious thought to do that but there's so many things that are like borrowed for the show to make the show like with so many different things in its dna and even jazz just being what it is as um a form of music that has that is rooted in black history and black music blues and all the things that comes out yeah like that it's still done so tastefully like it it everything is like pulled together that it's just like this is an honor of something that is beautiful that is tr- transnational and and yep. all these different places and then spike and maria have continue their conversation and this scene shows that they're doing like a bonnie and clyde type story as well maria and asimov yeah because maria and asimov are on the run they've wronged the mob and now they're being hunted by the mob and bounty hunters because they committed a crime but like you can tell through maria's 
dialogue that it's like for her, it's not really like like they're just trying to survive mm-hmm. and they're trying to make a better life for themselves. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, we were in the life of crime. We're trying to leave that life. Yeah. And I, that's like a crime movie, crime story staple. You mm-hmm. know, it's like you can try to leave the life, but the life just keeps coming back. You leave it in a box. Why'd you stop me? Huh? He would have been dead in another minute. I wanted to see him die. Asimov, please, this has to stop. I think you liked him, didn't you? You left me there for so long, Asimov. I was just waiting for you to pick me up. Let's go, Asimov, like you promised. I want to get out of this life. I know that I can be happy on Mars. That, uh, I guess I skipped over a, a moment there, but yeah, Asimov shows up, chokes out Jet because he's flirting it with his lady. <laughs> Yeah. And they just take off and leave, 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 leave him for dead. Leave Spike on the ground. <laughs> um, and she had to plead for his life, too. It's like, please, Asimov, don't kill him. Because, again, it's like to her, this is about leaving the life, you know? And, yeah. And, and leaving the violence and the, you know, yeah. the, the running and all that stuff behind and starting a new life somewhere. So And he had already just laid waste to a bar full of people. So, right, right. <laughs> like, we're done now. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It just seemed like. We talk about like bringing in so many genres, but also like doing them in just like a very like just a very thematically dense way, mm-hmm. you know. And that like nothing really gets lost in it, like everything melds so well together, right? So well. And and I don't have a whole lot of clips beyond this point because um, at this point in time, it's basically a chase scene, you mm-hmm. know, and it's very action packed and exciting. Lots of nice, good music. Oh, yeah, because it's like, you know, basically you get like freeform jazz playing mm-hmm. against a spaceship chase. Yeah. You know, and they're basically, uh, oh, because uh, Spike and Jet reunite and mm-hmm. they, they they try to. And Spike, even though he was being choked out, left a uh, tracker on Asimov's, uh jacket. And so they know where they're where their bounty is. They just need to get to him before the murderers do. <laughs> I have. I think I have that clip somewhere. Hold on. Having ourselves a little nap, huh? I had a sweet dream. That's heartwarming. And you can go right ahead and finish your dream back on the bebop. I'm cashing in my chips on this one. It's impossible to catch the guy. There's no way to win it. When Asimov left his syndicate, he snuck some stuff out with him. Serious brew. This stuff's a total mind frag. It's a new kind of ice spray the syndicate cooked up. Very pure. Takes two months to make one vial. Our boy took off with every drop, which made him rather unpopular. I was wrong. He didn't put a tracker on him. He stole his juice. That's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> Spike's a, a pickpocket. Yeah. You know, so he used the I am being choked out by Asimov as a uh, an Wait opportunity to, 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 to slip something out of his pocket. That's and, what I always do when I'm being choked. They keep sending hit teams after him, but all they get back are corpses. Seems Asimov's been pumping up by doing this stuff himself. It's called Bloody Eye. No kidding. You know they're planning to go to Mars. Mars? But before that, they've got to sell these. Is that what I think it is? Yeah, I grabbed it out of his pocket. You met him? Yeah, so to speak. (laughs) He nailed you, huh? The red-eyed coyote will appear in the Zona Norte at the far end of town. That's what the fortune teller told him. Yes. So Spike's just lucky. Yeah. He has high luck. <laughs> That's his D&D stat. He's got high luck. He's lucky like a certain cricket from a different movie. <laughs> we don't talk about cricket. 
Um, <laughs> didn't talk about Creek. No. Okay. So then uh, Spike and Jet know where he's go- know where Asimov and Marie are going. They're going to make one last uh, sail mm-hmm. of the bloody eye before they get the heck out of there. Yeah. Uh, and they cut him off. Right. Like, you know, Spike dresses up like a bartender in yeah, order to. In a big old surpri- sombrero and poncho. Yep. Um, in order to trick Asimov into uh, giving away his position, I guess. Mm-hmm. So do you have any Bloody Marys? I only have beer. I got tomato juice. How much? 30 million wulongs for 50 packs. 15 million wulongs. I'm in a hurry. I've got other customers. Show me. <gasps> Looking for this? Do you know how much you're worth? What? 2.5 million wulongs. That's your bounty. I said you were a small fry. He, he throws his, his poncho off and he's like, it's me. It's a me, Spike Yo. There's a scene, or, there is a level in the video game uh, Metal Gear Rising, Metal. Revengeance, <laughs> where uh, the main character Raiden dresses up in a poncho and sombrero to blend in with the locals in Mexico. I guarantee that scene is based on this scene in <laughs> Cowboy Bebop. You didn't do the research, though. I, I I can't know that for sure, but I am very certain that that's the case. Um, and you get this classic Western standoff where, you know, the bounty hunter is standing off with the criminal mm-hmm. in this town square. It's dusty, you know, a dusty road in Mexico somewhere uh, in the... Do, do they, is there a shootout or is it, do they fight each other hand Here? to hand? They, yeah. uh, hand to hand until, uh, he hops in his room, room fly machine. <laughs> and, the, and, and the, the, the mafia shows up to initiate a stand, uh, a shootout yeah. as well. Yeah. And then cops also show up because they're shooting in the streets. It's, it's, it's utter chaos. But before that, um, we get that tense standoff where they're just like, you know, they're, they're about to like go off on each other, mm-hmm. you know, in some kind of violence. Uh, but they just have a conversation in true Western fashion or Tarantino fashion. Before the violence starts, you have to have a conversation. Right. You look surprised. You look ridiculous in that outfit. I thought you weren't after my bounty. There's no thrill in the cheap ones, Asimov, you know? I think you do better as a thief, bounty boy. Now hand it over. Glad to. I have to pay you back, don't I? And you heard it there, that jazz, that jazzy soundtrack by Yoko Kano. Spike is not a very bright boy. No, he's not. You just shot glass and drugs. That's why we were saying he's he's very irresponsible, but he's also full of bravado. And that confidence gets him far, but, you know, sometimes not far enough. Where do you get these cojones? <laughs> like... Love him. He's great. He's like a Han Solo in a way, you know, just very brash. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I don't have a whole lot of clips after this point because it's just a chase. Yeah. uh, Set to jazzy music. Great music. Yeah. You know, it's like a spaceship chase. Mm -hmm. Jet and Spike are both chasing him in different spaceships. Yes, correct. In addition to the police and the mob all chasing them. You know, in the skies of Mexico. <laughs> it is quite the house. Um, and, and then they head up into space. Yes. You know, and this is, you know, it's exciting. It's fun. It's high energy. Mm-hmm. And that it just, 
I feel like this whole episode, like you get a you get a full movie's worth of like action and adventure and, and story, story and everything's character. coherent yeah and it, encapsulated yeah somehow in 20 minutes we've we've got like you get a full story it's yeah. a full thing um and I, I guess that that was like the point right mm-hmm. um i was reading that watanabe initially conceived cowboy bebop as a film just a singular film huh and when production expanded into the series he still insisted on treating each episode as a miniature movie mm. and this first episode is perfect to demonstrate that point. Yeah. Because it feels like a miniature movie. Yeah. It has the pacing of a movie, the character development of a movie, and uh, just the, f- the structure of a of movie. A movie. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, it is. It very well done. Though I, I, it makes me think back to him saying, like, I want a true end point so that he was like, this is what the end is. And all of these movies are going to come to the end of this grand movie. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the episodes of Cowboy Bebop are um, episodic. Right. Yeah. Like they, they really they're kind of like standalone in a way, mm-hmm. you know, and there are episodes that do contribute to a grander, longer arc. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like this episode, it's pretty standalone. You're never going to see Maria or Asimov again. This Why is just not? In, because they die in an explosion <laughs> in orbit. They're blown up by the police. Yeah. And uh, like Spike has this moment of uh, like connection with Maria just before she dies. Yeah. Like. It's almost sad. Like no, he, it's not almost sad. It's, tra- it's, it's tragic. Sad. Yeah. Because it's not like just that they get blown up, right? It's Maria looking at uh, her boyfriend and realizing even if they get off of, out of here, he's been taking too many of these drugs. Like things aren't going to change. So she takes his life, shoots him. He is dead in the cockpit of this spaceship that she's driving head on to a bunch of cops that are asking they're very politely for them to stop. And she looks over, makes eye contact with Spike and say... See you later, the cowboy. End, end, end of the yeah, end of the road. And then dies in a hail of bullets. And he had a conversation with her about just wanting to have a better life, just wanting to get out of where she is right now, just wanting something new and to be happy and to have a family to raise. Yeah, it's sad. It's not kind of yeah, sad. It's tragic. It's tragic. So that the f- closing scene, Spike is a lot more thankful for the stuff that they have. You know, like yeah. he he. The show is mature in the fact that it allows the exploration of that melancholy. Mm-hmm. You know, like the show get lets it's allowed to be sad. Yeah. In not like a superficial, like juvenile sad way, right? Like the emotion presented is I, I use melancholy because it's more poignant and more um dense. Yeah. Like emotionally dense. No, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and, and as I was saying, the the episode is, you know, kind of self-contained because these characters don't come back. Mm-hmm. Like they they inform Spike and Jet's relationship and like just their mentality moving forward a little bit, but it doesn't really serve a greater narrative purpose. Yeah. Other than just to show what these characters are like, you know, it kind of reveal more about their themselves, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, and the work they do. And uh they move on to the next adventure. Yeah. Uh that that's I think another reason I, I enjoy this show so much. Those are my favorite episodes are the ones that are self-contained. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much the end of the first episode of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. Uh, it is excellent. Would you it recommend it? Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. I I think like even if you don't intend to watch the full series, which you I think you should. Mm-hmm. I recommend it. Yeah. Uh, at least watch the first episode. If yeah. you've never seen Cowboy Bebop before, just like watch the first episode because it's really good. It is really, really good. It and, is really, really good. And uh, 
Where did we watch it? Was it on Hulu? This last time? Might be on Netflix. Oh, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix because Netflix currently... Uh, it's going to start airing. It, the... Well, Netflix has, uh, you know, uh, licensed the show for another purpose. Mm-hmm. So it is now... It, the show is streaming on Netflix right now. So watch it watch if you it. have Netflix. If you have Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, I'm sure you know someone who does. I think it's on does. YouTube also. The first episode is on YouTube. Oh, probably. Yeah. But uh, what did the world think of this show? Let me know. Cowboy Bebop received... Universal critical acclaim with critics praising everything from the show's characters, voice cast, writing, animation, production values, and soundtrack. Production values, I didn't even mention it. Like just the visual storytelling, the artistry, the way they draw the pictures is Mm -hmm. almost like it's filmic. Yeah. Right. They're drawing from like, you know, film sources, like even like, you know, big films like Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey indie film influences where they, they just like dwell on a shot for a long time. And it's just like a very beautiful, simple static shot of like the environment or like a scene in the bebop. Mm-hmm. It's all done very just like cinematic. Yeah. It's beautiful. It, it, it's stunning. It's and it, yeah. And it's like, not even like it's in a subtle way. It's not even trying to show off. Right. It's just like the little things make this show. They push it beyond like, you know, your, your, it's, this isn't a cartoon. This is a work of art type thing. Mm-hmm. I remember there's like early on when they're eating their bell peppers and beef, uh, and they're mm-hmm. discussing the bounty that they're going to go after. There's a shot that, you know, it's looking down on jet and spike as they're eating. Mm-hmm. And there's a rotating fan on the ceiling, like ceiling fan. Right. Yeah. And it's just slowly whizzing by and mm-hmm. the blade will like pass between you know, where the viewers are watching and the characters down below. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it yeah. was like, that's a little detail that didn't need to be there. Yeah. But they went the extra effort to add it there. Yeah. Yeah. So good. It's so good. It's, it's artistry. Australian magazine Hyper, for example, called the show at the time of its release a, quote, spellbinding combination of the slick visual design of Blade Runner and the rugged personality of Tarantino films. 100% style. Agreed. Anime News Network complimented the series, quote, movie quality animation, sophisticated writing, and its incredible musical score, lauding it as a, quote, unique television show, which skillfully transcends all kinds of genres. Mm. Them anime reviews praised the animation as, quote, a rarity and a marvel to behold and, quote, beyond superb. And the plot and characterization as having, quote, a sophistication and subtlety that is practically one of a kind. I can agree with that. Oh, and by the way, nearly all of the reviews identified Cowboy Bebop uh, as one of, if not the greatest anime of all time. <laughs> I had to point that out because I saw it over and over again. Mm-hmm. DVD Talk said, quote, regardless of the medium, be it live action, television, f- film or animation, Cowboy Bebop is simply one of the finest examples of storytelling ever created. Okay. And Paste Magazine called Cowboy Bebop a, quote, masterwork that should justly rank among the best works of television of all time. Cowboy Bebop won the same two first place awards at the Anime Grand Prix Awards two years in a row. Oh, okay. I was like, what? How do you win an award twice in the same year? Spike Spiegel was awarded the best male character. And Megumi Hayashibara <laughs> was awarded the best voice actress for her role as Faye Valentine, who we've not talked about, but that's another lead in the show yeah so the japanese voice actress who plays faye valentine won an award okay i'm uh, good the series itself 
also for two years in a row, was awarded second best anime series. That's by the what? An- <laughs> in the first year, it lost to Prince of Darkness, Narasiko, and then to Cardcaptor Sakura. Oh, no. But I really enjoy Cardcaptor Sakura, but I don't know that I can get behind that. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. Cowboy Bebop has, as mentioned, been included on countless greatest anime of all time lists. It was ranked slash voted number one on lists by Anime Insider and Paste Magazine. Mm. And that is the reception of Cowboy Bebop. But what of its legacy? Cowboy What's of it? <laughs> Cowboy Bebop ran for one season of 26 episodes. Like we said, they got in and got out. Good. It's the perfect length. It is. Any any longer, it would have been dragging. I, I feel like this is exactly what it needed to yeah. be. Yeah. And, and for, for some, some of the arcs you didn't, like some of the episodes, you're yeah. like, this one's not for me. Yeah. Like there's a overarching story revolving around Spike and his backstory, mm-hmm. which I'm not the biggest fan of. Yeah. But I know other people really love that stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, I don't hate it. It's not bad. It's yeah. just not for me. It's just not for you. But the one-off, a lot of the one-off Excellent. episodes are so good there's there's my an favorite are the the ein and and ed yeah so ones. we didn't talk about it but you know this first episode focuses on spike and jet mm-hmm. they're very soon uh joined by additional lead characters yes. We get faye valentine who is a femme fatale uh amnesiac i think ein comes first though well ein is a corgi that yes. lives on their ship with them and he's adorable he is adorable and then we lastly meet edward mm-hmm. who is a hacker genius kid who's androgynous you know it's a little girl yeah but like she's drawn in such a way as to be like is this a little boy or a little girl And even the characters don't know yeah uh and edward's great that's the point edward is great edward is a cartoon character but she fits so well Ugh, i love ed Uh, and like, I'm like thinking of like my favorite episodes of the series. Like it's the, it's the one with the horse. There's an episode where they're like <laughs> hounded by like this weird cowboy man. Yeah. He's just a literal cowboy that rides on his horse. <laughs> uh, and it's like so good. And there's an episode where they take magic mushrooms and I'll go, they all get high. That's true. Including I'm the dog. Yes. I think my favorite are just the Ed, the Ed ones, not necessarily the like, cult leader ed one i did enjoy that but that made me go "Mm." but like there whatever the one was that like ed was just like maybe that was the mushroom one ed was just in a town and that there was just a character in a very fast car that ed kept messing things up for yeah the big old she had the the, huge afro that's the the mushroom episode. i love the mushroom episode uh and then like the music is so good in that one it's like faye and jet get some really good episodes they dive into their backstory yeah uh and you know they're done in almost like a noir mystery type movie Mm -hmm. i think sometimes even in black and white it's all good it's so oh it's so good great stuff uh, due to the graphic violence of Cowboy Bebop, only five episodes and a special were aired on TV Tokyo in early 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like its original Japanese run. Five episodes. Only five episodes were, were, were aired. Later that year, the series was shown in its entirety on satellite network Wow Wow. Wow Wow. Uh, as we mentioned, Cowboy Bebop was dubbed into English by Animes and ZRO Limited Productions. Uh, it first aired in the United States as part of the newly launched... Adult Swim Block on Cartoon, Cartoon Network. Yeah. Uh, it was there from the beginning. Cartoon All Network. out of the pool. Cartoon Network aired Adult Swim. The first night, Cowboy Bebop was there. Wow. Yeah. It's like, I think five shows debuted that night, and Cowboy Bebop was one of them. All right. Cowboy Bebop has spawned two manga adaptations. You got Cowboy Bebop Shooting Star, 
which ran from October 1997 before the series' actual release in July 1988, and simply put, Cowboy Bebop, which ran from November 1998 to March 2000. Wow. Yeah. A web-based short story called Cowboy Bebop UT was published on Bandai's website in 2001. Okay. An anime film titled Cowboy Bebop Knocking on Heaven's Door, which is a reference to... A song. Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, shown in English as Cowboy Bebop the movie was released in Japan in 2001 and in the United States in 2002. I think I saw that in theaters. Did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm pretty sure I saw that in theaters. Was it good? Did I see that in theaters? Did Was it theatrically released? I don't know. I definitely saw it though. Was it good? I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, of course, that was years ago, but I enjoyed it. Two Cowboy Bebop video games have been released in Japan. You got Cowboy Bebop for the PlayStation in 1998 and Cowboy Bebop Suyoku no Serenade for the PlayStation 2 in 2005. And after years of failed attempts by Hollywood to produce a live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, including one with Keanu Reeves on board to play Spike, an American live action television adaptation was released on Netflix to poor reviews. <laughs> that was last year. Oh, wait, that's already out? It's out, and it's already canceled. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Netflix announced later that year that the series would not be renewed for a second season before just canceling it entirely. Hmm. Yeah. I. It was a show no one wanted. It was a show no one wanted, and everybody got. And where did the folks behind Cowboy Bebop go from here? Well, director... Shinichiro Watanabe followed up Cowboy Bebop with Samurai Champloo. Oh my gosh, I love Samurai Champloo. You haven't seen any of that. No, but I've heard like, if you like Cowboy Bebop, you should watch we should, that too. We should do that. And he has gone on to helm various other projects like 2014's Space Dandy and 2019's Carol and Tuesday. Uh, he also worked with American Studios on projects related to franchises like The Matrix and Blade Runner. And in 2006, when asked if there would ever be more Cowboy Bebop, Watanabe answered with, Quote, someday, maybe someday. <laughs> That's it. Someday, dot, 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 maybe someday. Screenwriter Keiko Nobumoto served as the head writer on anime series Wolf's Reign, 2003, and co-wrote the screenplay for Satoshi Kon's 2003 film, Tokyo Godfathers. Uh, he has also worked on various uh, Shinichiro Watanabe-directed projects before passing away from esophageal cancer in 2021. So rest in peace, Mr. Nobumoto. Rest in peace. Character designer Toshihiro Kawamoto co-founded animation studio Bones with other fellow Sunrise staff members in 1998. He has since worked on shows like Wolf's Reign, Eureka 7, Witch Hunter, Robin, Sword of the Stranger, and Full Metal Alchemist. I've watched a lot of those animes. So you're a Kawamoto girl. <laughs> Mechanical designer Kimitoshi Yamane, as a freelancer, has continued to design mecha for later Gundam series and shows like Eureka 7 and Star Blazer 2199. And composer Yoko Kano has written scores for projects like Darker Than Black, Turn A Gundam, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, Wolf's Reign, Kids on the Slope, Genesis of Aquarion, and Terror in Resonance, to name a few. As the front woman of Seatbelts, she has produced a total of seven albums and one live DVD. Oh, wow. And in 2020, in collaboration with Funimation, Sunrise, and composer Mason Lieberman, Kano and the band re-recorded the ending theme to Cowboy Bebop to raise proceeds for the COVID-19 relief. And that's Cowboy Bebop. Nice. Man. That was a lot. You know something I realized you didn't mention? 
uh, in the like legacy stuff. I, well, you don't know the rapper logic, but he had on it on the he's like kind of a big nerd. Um, but on one of his albums, he had the voice of Spike. Just there's a whole track of just him talking Steve, to Spike. Steve Blum. Yes. Oh wow. <laughs> there's just a whole. I think it's called on. I don't know what album it's on. But it's just called CU Space Cowboy. Well, we will definitely be uh, sharing that on Twitter. Who's that? Logic? Logic, yeah. Logic and Spike. Yeah. <laughs> together, together at last. Together. Mm, Spike always needed some logic. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, but that's that's it. Cowboy Bebop. Hey! Uh, which show was better of our two shows today? Which indeed. It's Cowboy Bebop. It's Cowboy Bebop. Sorry, Wild Thornberries. Uh, no, I'm not. It's, it's, <laughs> Your art is ugly. Like, legitimately, uh, <laughs> can we do the album cover thing that we normally do? <laughs> Cartoon uh, animation can't only be judged by by the way it looks and sounds, but also by why it looks. Look at this. <laughs> Look at it. Yeah, no. Wild Thornberries failed uh, miserably against Cowboy Bebop. Miserable. Cowboy Bebop is the winner of today's show. Absolutely. Hands down. Hands up. Turn around. <laughs> All right, what's next on our agenda here? I suppose if you would like to, we can talk about runners up. Let's do it. All right. Well, for you, if we weren't watching li- Wild Thornberries, we would have been watching worse things. <laughs> Such as? Power Rangers in space. Ah, <laughs> that was the last Power Rangers show I watched. So that's it. Good. We never for- have to. We, it's no longer a risky business. Yeah. No. No more. Uh, no more runners up in the in the in the Power Rangers business. Right. I was off the Power Rangers train. Good. By space, Great. But, uh, I I watched the Power Rangers in space VHS tape a lot with my cousin. They they fought the like. But it's they fought like imposter rangers at some point. <laughs> imposter rangers. Yeah. Uh, we also could have been watching Cat Dog. Ugh. It's another Nicktoon. Uh, I don't. I never liked Cat Dog, but it was just one of those shows that was on. That was on. Yeah. So Wild Thornberries was the best of the, of the best possible things we could have watched. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, for me, if we didn't watch Cowboy Bebop, we could have been, and honestly, kids, we did try to watch the famous Jet Jackson. Disney Channel's the famous Jet Jackson. Yes. The show that you can find literally nowhere anymore. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like, it's not on Disney Plus, even though it is a Disney Channel original show. Yeah. It's like the one Disney Channel show that's not on Disney Plus. It's It's very bizarre. It's uh, it's too bizarre. Yeah. So bizarre. But yeah, Famous Jet Jackson, that was a show about a young man Mm -hmm. who uh, was a star in some kind of like television show. I love that you're explaining this as you've never seen an episode except the one I made. I know I've seen. I watched the show when I was a kid. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you did. Yes, I did. Yeah, you did. You're a Disney baby. (laughs) I didn't watch a lot of it, but I did watch it. I did. I watched a good. I remember there was a movie he also made. It was like Jet Jackson the movie. Yeah, that's true. Where I think there was like a clone jet. Something like that. Somebody had cloned. What was his TV show? He was. He's like the the main character is a star. Sterling. Silverstone. Silverstone. I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> and he had a friend that were just the token white friend. I was like, why are you here, kid? You're being extra. Stop it. Um, if we weren't watching that, we could have been watching Who's Line because I did watch a lot of it. But it's Who's really. Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. Whose Line Is It Anyway? The... But it's so difficult to re- actually track. Like, I know I haven't watched every episode of it. Uh, I've watched more episodes than I've watched Cowboy Bebop because I've watched more than 26 episodes. But you but haven't seen every episode. I haven't seen every episode. And then also, Whose Line has gone through like seven hosts. It was like, I don't, I, the only now. one I've ever seen was Drew, Drew Carey. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Drew, Drew Carey's my only guy. Yeah. That, that's the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Yeah. It's a good show. We also could have been watching... Gosh, there's so many things on here. I'm not going to read them all. Um, We could have been watching the that 70s show, though I, I really only watched the first three seasons of it. Uh, the first season still holds up. It's hilarious. And then every season after that is a little bit like meh for me. Never watched that. Could have been watching Charmed. Another witch thing, another, my guys. Another thing I never watched. <laughs> I'm glad that we didn't have to sit through that. Um, It was a good show. But I mostly prefer the non-Prue episodes. You don't know any of the words that I'm saying. Nope. And the show that actually I could have been watching, uh, Trigun. And here's the thing. We had, that was a, like, we had to flip the coin on that one because they're the same amount of episodes. Exactly the same. They're exactly the same. They both have 20, a 26, uh, episode run. Um, and I'm not saying that Trigun is a better show. But I prefer Trigun. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and that's just a personal preference. I think there's a, from what I remember, I should go back and rewatch it. There's a lot less like, no, nope, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I I like both shows. But we flipped the coin. I flipped the coin. And it was Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> and yeah, and which I'm glad is great. it was. Yeah. And that is, I believe, the end of our show. It is the end of our show. We can do some plugs now. Do some plugs. All right. So if you want to help us here today you can do us some favors <laughs> you can tell a friend about our show mm-hmm. it's called media mate tell them that it's it's good we talk about cowboy bebop suggest your favorite episode to them yeah. uh re-watch it with them re-listen to it with them subscribe on your podcast platform of choice leave us reviews five stars leave us comments please yeah we like comments yeah, i like don't en- always know how to comment back but i like comments yeah yeah engagement is good for us because it, it helps us know that people are listening so yeah like you know lift a finger and do that yeah <laughs> um you can follow our show on twitter and on instagram at media mate show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at media mate show we share polls videos pictures art fun stuff yeah um as for me you can follow me on twitter personally at rod the master uh, if you like retweets of pictures of Kirby, I guess. <laughs> um, I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. Uh, we write all about the Legend of Zelda video game series. Uh, I also host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. So if you like professional wrestling, check that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what do you got? I have a YouTube that I don't upload anything on. Check it out. Taming Tales, YouTube. Uh, yep, so to end our show today, uh, I... I know Jess loves a certain song from the Cowboy Bebop uh, that I soundtrack. Do. <laughs> and that song is called what? Cat Steps. Cat Blues. Cat Blues. Yeah, I was like, I looked it up. I had to like, Cowboy Bebop cat song. And it's Cat <laughs> Blues. So we're going to close out with Cat Blues from the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack because Jess loves it. I do love so it so much. much. But I will say the whole soundtrack is pretty dang excellent. Yeah. Like every song is so fun. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, they're so good. Yep. So. With that, we will see you all next time with our movies of 1999. Have a good night, space babies. See ya, space cowboy. Space babies. Space babies.